Good morning, Cohog. You're here with Dingo. And the baby. And if you're thinking about changing the station... Don't you do it! Today we got homeless Hank from the dumpster out back with us. Hey, I got an idea. How about the first three women willing to come down and have sex with Hank get free boob jobs courtesy of Dr. John Viner? Are you reading my mind, man? Let's go to the phones. Go ahead, caller. You're on with Dingo and the baby. Uh, is this Dingo? Yes, honey. What's your name? Ooh, hot. Oh, yeah, that's hot. That is hot. Tell me something, Cindy. How'd you like to come down here and get naked for us? Uh -huh. Sure. Whoa! I think we got a show. Oh, yeah, we got a show. We definitely got a show. Oh, yeah, there's a show. I collect them, the pens in my pocket, I must protect them My ergonomic keyboard never leaves me bored Dropping online for deals on some writable media I edit Wikipedia I memorize Holy Grail really well I can recite it right now and have you R-O-T-F-L-O-L I got a business doing website Web file friends need some code, who do they call? I do HTML for them all Even made a homepage for my doll Yo, work out myself a fanny pack They were having a sale down at the Gap In my nights with a roll of bubble wrap Pop, pop, hope no one sees me getting freaky I'm dirty in the extreme and whiter than sour cream I was in a B-club and Glee club and even the chess team Only question I never thought was hard What do I like her or do I like Picard? Spend every weekend at the Renaissance Fair Got my name on my underwear They see me strolling They're laughing And rolling their eyes Cause I'm so wide and nerdy Just because I'm white and nerdy Things just too white and nerdy I'm just too white and nerdy Look at me, I'm white and nerdy It's true. Why, hello. It's six minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11, and this is the month of May in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 Solid State Radio. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsicality and comedy. It's uh, 503-733-2970. You'd like to join us today, 503 503- 733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com, sarah at 970.am, tim at 970.am, or richie with a t at 970.am. It's 503-733-2970 for your comments, questions, clarifications, conventions, two cents, ruminations on the Indian in the cover by Lynn Reed Banks, or whatever it is you might have. Uh, Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, uh, the mundane. Thoughts on Basic versus Pascal. 503-733-2970. It is Monday, and welcome to Day 12. And uh, greetings and salutations, and hey there, and howdy, and hi there, oh there. Uh, all right, so uh, here's what's coming up today. we got the CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. We'll be joining us from Capitol Hill today, because we have... There's some primary tomorrow in some place that doesn't matter. West Virginia? Exactly. Nothing matters less than West Virginia. So we'll talk about it anyway, just because it's what we do. But let's be honest. Um, let's see. Well, Steve Castamon will be joining us today. Because they got that. I think they're 
They're either making the announcement today, they've made the announcement today about Jimmy Fallon uh, taking over late night. So have they already put that out, or is that one of those things where they've softened up the ground, as they say, by leaking it before they officially say it? Oh, I have it right here at a news conference in New York. Fallon says he is ready for the challenge. All right, fantastic. Uh, So we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum about Jimmy Fallon, because it's... So what, Jimmy Fallon is taking over for Conan O'Brien, Conan O'Brien is taking over for Leno, and then Leno is just leaving to do, just to do nothing? Yeah. Sit at home and... Yeah, he won't be missed. <laughs> I always try to find a nicer way to put it. Jane Leno will be going home to live the rest of his life in tedious obscurity. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, we'll also talk to Cena radio correspondent James Roop, who has, I swear to you, this is not an old program, it is 2008. Who has news about the ranch where they found Charles Manson. Uh, so we'll have that today. Anyway, so there you go. Jim Roof, Steve Kastenbaum, uh, Lisa Deja, or Dan. Uh, today, top five. Uh, we meant to get to this Thursday and then Friday, but we got to get to it today. Uh, top five songs about transvestites. Uh, we'll do that later on with Richie Bristol. Uh, speaking of music, the Dry County Crooks are going to be in the studio with us later on today uh, uh, to uh, perform some exciting songs from their new album. And they got a CD release party. I think it's coming up this... I think it's Saturday at Dante's. Uh, so Dry County Crooks will be in the studio with us uh, later on today. Um, we also got to do bits of business as we get uh, closer to Rick Emerson Listener Party 11, which is happening this Thursday, May 15th, 8 p.m. at the Crystal Ballroom. Oh, So boy. that is now just one, two, three days away. And uh, I have my dress, Rick. I'm I, so excited. I was really getting, I was starting to get nervous. Now, can I reveal the quote uh, that you gave to me this morning? Yes. Okay, so I answered the phone. This is what happened today around 10.30. So I, my phone rings, and it's Sarah, and I pick it up, and this this is exactly how the conversation went. I answered the phone. I said, hi, Sarah, and she said, can I tell you something about my dress? And I, this is the dress you got for the party? Yes, yes. Right. Um, yep, yeah, uh, Joni, baby girl boutique's going to let me wear one. And I said which that, I could never afford, so I'm so excited. And I said, I said, what about your dress? And this is exactly the quote as Sarah gave it to me. She said, this is Sarah saying this now, by the way. This is not my or anybody else's assessment of Sarah in her new dress. This is Sarah's own assessment in which she said, quote, even I want to hump me, dot, 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 because I look so effing hot. End quote. So there you go. So who can... And you're never and you're never really happy with the way you look. You always kind of nitpick, you know, like a lot of people. You're always just finding something oh, you yeah. think could be better or different or whatever. Uh, you always... This is the most this... amazing dress I've ever seen. <laughs> it's... It's really, really cool. Like, I put it on because it was, it, it was like, my only option also was going to go and try and find one this afternoon. But I don't have, you know, I'm kind of broke, so I'm actually borrowing this one. Right. But Joni's like, okay, somebody return this, and so you can, like, try this just to see if it fit, and, like, zipped it up, and it just felt like it was meant for me. <laughs> like, the des- like the dress had been designed solely for this occasion. It is so cool. I am, I am really excited. Because I was kind of, you know, we've been, like, freaking out about the speeches and stuff, but if you don't look good, and then you're trying to, like, Nothing also else do matters. something that you're not comfortable... Like you look enemy. like a troll, and everything else is pointless, Sarah. So, all right. I'm super excited. Well, doesn't no matter what you say, it's how you look. That's exactly exactly. Tim, that's exactly what we're saying. Tim Riley knows that appearance is everything. Yes. So, excellent. Well, fantastic. I'm excited to see it then. Uh, and I don't mean that in a creepy kind of way. Uh, all right. So we've got three days left until uh, the listener party. Um, so we will talk more about that. Nickel Arcade going to be performing. Uh, Emerson Starship going to be performing. Of course, the Rick Emerson Roast at the centerpiece. Roastmaster Carl Click. Uh, roasters to include Sarah Dillon, Storm Large, Gordon Fatboy, Scott uh, uh, Daly and Aaron Duran, uh, Byron Beck, uh, Peter Carlin, 
So, and another, uh, we'll do another announcement about that, uh, about the party, uh, probably within this hour. We have another, another uh, happening, another event that will be taking place. We will announce that later on uh, this hour. Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification today. A killer quake in China claims thousands of lives. My processing sounds different today. <laughs> John McCain is important. Bill Clinton is in Southern Oregon. Is this attached to anything? Barack <laughs> <laughs> Obama returns this weekend. This just in, a local newsman complains about his processing. West Virginians keep their distance from Obama claiming he's a Muslim with an atheist wife. A college party escalates into a riot in Northeast over the weekend. This microphone sounds like some small-town radio station in Vermont. It sounds a little tinny or something. It really does. An area man claims his microphone is all mid-range. Telephone trading time. <laughs> Would you like it? Right to... after community bulletin board. Would you like us to have Matt Green come look at it? Yes. All right. A teenager is seriously burned playing the blowtorch game. <laughs> no. Oh, yes. A pelican attacks a Florida woman. Excellent. Fantastic. All right, uh, Matt Green, uh, whenever it is uh, that you hear this, uh, if you want to uh, walk on down to the studio, apparently we have... It some, reminds some... me of starting at that 250-watt daytimer. It does. You, way back when. Your, your microphone does today sound... Uh, your, the processing sounds as though you lack a little bit of body. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of bottom end on your microphone at the moment. Or top end, or medium end. <laughs> oh, wasn't, didn't he show us something like that switch? But Tim doesn't have that switch. Oh, yeah, Tim, he has a different microphone. Tim uses a different style of microphone than do you and I. Uh, Tim uses a Shure uh, SM5, which is supposed to give you sort of a nice, uh, warm presence to your voice. That doesn't necessarily seem to be happening as of now. It does not. All right. The best part, though, was how you slipped that right in between two other headlines, and it sounded for all the world like a news story you were going to talk about. All right. That'd be two orders of medium fries. <laughs> and a frosty. Uh, all right. Uh, we're ketchup and mustard with that? So we have... So we have all of that coming up. Uh, we have another announcement about the listener party that's going to be uh, happening on Thursday. We have another announcement within this hour. Uh, and uh, here comes Matt Green. Joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillman. Hello, how are Hi. you? Hi. All right. I'm doing well. All right. Um, yeah. Are you going to post that picture that you showed me today? Should I? So Sarah brought in. This is not a picture of her in the dress, by the way. You have to come to the party to see that. This, uh, I mean, on a scale, if I can just go back to the dress for I'm a second. I'm just saying. It's, I'm like a nine. Because we're all really hype. We're, we're I hypercritical. Am never, I am never happy. You know that I'm never happy because yeah. I'm always like, I put that thing out, and Joni and I were both just like, Wow. It was, I sound totally full. Of you know what? I don't care. I never wear dresses. I look good in it. I'm going to wear it. I'm going to rock it. It's mine. I'm going to make it my bitch. That dress is mine. I do have to say, by the way, I do appreciate the fact that you called yourself a nine. That you did, you know, that you were, you know, that you didn't, you could have called yourself a ten. Well, I haven't seen myself with the accessories. <laughs> that was with no, that was without your hairstyle. Fantastic. Um, well, and uh, we're going to have uh, this, this listener party, we're going to actually have some, uh, We'll have uh, some some photographic evidence of this one too. Uh, good friends at Vanish Twin are going to oh, be doing some of that. It? Yeah. So anyway, it's going to be it's going to be good times, as they say. Tim, have you got your tux picked out? Uh, I have. <laughs> now the microphone's completely off. <laughs> right. This is You're the best to... day ever. I believe. Oh, okay. That sounds a little bit better. Sounds a little better. Yeah, that t- does. I picked out my touch, yes. All right. And we picked them up Wednesday? Uh, well, Richie's picking up his today for some reason. He's getting his a little bit. Yeah, they're ready Wednesday. Good. Um, and so 
And I just went in because I think of you and myself and Richie. I was the first one to, to go to uh, uh, to go to Mr. Formal, and so I just went in and I. And those guys are listeners, by the way. They are. They They've li- always wanted to come to a listener party, and for some reason they didn't. I said you cannot miss this one. No, listeners and good people. Especially if you're outfitted by them. Yes. And I mean, if, come on. And I had no like. I haven't had a tux on since high school. I had no idea what to what to get, what not to wear. Uh, because she said, do you want single this or double that or spats or something? And uh, all I just said, give me whatever Frank Sinatra would wear, and she's like, done and done. And so they, uh, like, like 20 minutes, I was, I was good to go. Oh, there was a good Sinatra special on over the weekend. Nancy Sinatra is wearing these pink boots and what looks like this pink hula outfit, sing, sing with Frank on stage. Really? Yeah, it was on uh, TCM. They're showing all Sinatra specials all this month. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, sort of speaking of Sinatra, this is actually not because of the listener party, but we're done now totally off point here at the beginning of the show. But, um, but Lara had never seen the George Clooney Ocean's Eleven. Uh, so we watched that last night, which is like the seventh time I've seen that in about the past six yeah, you're weeks. you're kind of obsessed with that movie. Well, because I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it until uh, Aaron uh, lent it to me a couple of months ago. Uh, and then I immediately watched it several times in rapid succession, just as a reminder of how cool I'll never Hello? be. <laughs> Hello? That was my microphone popping just now. No, that was something in my ear popping. This is... Well, I think, but I think it was the sound of my microphone that you heard. But for people who don't know what's going on right now, so Engineer Matt is hunkered down in the corner of the room, twiddling knobs and fiddling with dials and twirling levers around. Uh, All right, let me try it. I can, uh, I can still barely hear my. I am much lower than the host, although uh, there's nothing wrong with that, mind you. <laughs> That's exactly as it should be. Tim. You are a lot lower. I mean, I, I, I am a lot <laughs> lower. I'd like to be on an equal footing. I have all of this cranked up pretty high. Okay, how about I've, now? I've just asked Matt to turn down the volume on everybody in the building who's not me. The next. Oh, thing, like that would be so. <laughs> well, let, let me read something. Uh, El Salado de Mortos por la Fuente sees what. Oh. It's not in English. Has Ascendio... I pushed the wrong button, Tim. I'm sorry, man. Oh, that's sorry. Did you press the Spanish button? Apparently so. I'm, I'm just rehearsing for some day. Oh, you sound good. When I may be called upon to speak Spanish. <laughs> a New Yorker controller, William Thompson, said in a recent audit... I, I, that's good, Matt. By the way, the next the next step will be that only my sections of the studio are lit. So just everybody prepare yeah. yourself you for that. You make it feel so special. That's right? okay. We're used to being in the dark. <laughs> All right. Well, and anyway, I don't even know what the hell we're doing. So it's it's a Monday. Um, in any event, when we talk about our weekends, yeah, I guess I didn't do I didn't do much of this week except fail to see Iron Man again. Um, I tried for the second time to see Iron Man and I failed for the second time, uh, just because I spent it was equal parts just sort of sleeping and catching up from what was kind of a busy weekend and and then doing some work for the listener party. So I got I got nothing done. Uh, this weekend, really, except for some little bits of work uh, that I did that I did yesterday, and then tonight. I mean, this week is crazy. Anyway, if you want to work backwards, Friday we're all going to be hung over from the party. Thursday is the party. Wednesday night we'll be doing final adjustments and you know final logistical checks and itinerary for the party. Tonight we're doing some, or tomorrow we're doing some recording in one of the production rooms here for one of the films that's going to be playing. And then tonight, I'm supposed to go to the gorge uh, with Lara because we... To the gorge? Well, it's Doesn't a long... It snow there? It's That's a, like it's... five hours away. <laughs> it's not five hours away. Um, it, it, it be... How far away is it? Because we've been sort of toying with the idea of getting a second dog. Um, and so there's been this multi-step process of... Because, you know, we kind of feel bad that we're gone for long stretches of time during the day and that Max kind of doesn't have any company, sort of at the house all by himself. And so we did have this idea to get maybe a second small dog, a dog that was, you know, the same size as Max. And 
uh, and that was not like a puppy, so we didn't have to worry about you know some of the issues that come with puppies, but one that wasn't you know the same age. Because you know then as he gets older, you don't want two dogs who are sort of you know getting old at the same time because you want to be able to give them the attention they deserve, and so you stagger the ages and all that. Anyway, blah 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 blah. So. So Lara found uh, this dog that was, it was like a rescue dog, like they'd, it'd come from a shelter. Uh, they'd found it as a stray, uh, but it's being kept at this, at this sort of shelter foster place that's in the gorge. So it's, so it's like 90 minutes away. So, uh, but the dog kind of meets all of our specifications and looks like it would get along with Max or whatever. So but tonight you might be the proud owner of a second dog. Well, maybe. So, we, so I got to go home after the show. Uh, we all get, and take, uh, you know, Lara and I and the dog and get in the car, drive to the gorge to meet a second dog, spend like an hour there seeing if they get along, and then if they get along, kind of do all the paperwork, and then, you know, whatever. What so, kind of a dog is it? Uh, it's a Lhasa. Oh. So, which is Max's a Lhasa anyway. So it, I have it, one myself. Yeah, so they, you Me know, be two, <laughs> two very small dogs. Uh, anyway, so that's, but the thing is, it's like, just think how much your life has changed in the past, like, five years. It's like an hour there, plus an hour with the dog, plus an hour back. So, I'm assuming even if we leave at, like, 6 p.m., it's, it's going to be 9 p.m. before I get back, and I got to do other stuff for the party. So, you got to bring a carrying case for the dog? It's already a bit of a, it's already a bit of a day, yes. So, we've, we've already made, we've got contingency items just in case the dog comes together. But it's... Yeah, that's what I forgot when I picked up my second dog and I regretted it. Yeah, <laughs> because, because then he just has to ride in the trunk, Tim. No, because his dog rode in my lap, and the dog was from Gresham and it reeked of urine. <laughs> All the way home. I figured I'd give this dog a better start in life than it's had in Gresham. Phew. <laughs> the Reek. dog had a good scrubbing when it got home. It reeked of urine and its deceased owners. Uh-huh. <laughs> You'll be happy to know that I did check with my landlord. Uh, before pursuing a second dog, though. There should be a second deposit. Yeah. Um, so let's not mention that to him, though. Okay. Uh, so anyway, so that's so that's my night tonight. So I get off the air, and we have to go to the gorge, kind of check this dog out, and if the dog sort of works, then we'll bring it home and, you know, whatever. So anyway. That sounds very exciting. So that was my weekend, was doing nothing and getting ready for, th- for tonight. So uh, what about you, Sarah Dillon? Um, went out with some friends on Friday night, had a fabulous time, and then on Saturday drove to Bremerton and spent time with my parents and uh, for the Mother's Day thing and everything. It was really fun. Oh, God, yesterday was Mother's Day. Oh, my God, Rick. <laughs> I'm such a terrible person. Uh, okay, I'll call my mom during the break. Oh, you horrible little man. Well, you know, here's the thing about it, though, is that she's got five other children who probably called her. So, in all likelihood, she didn't miss the fact that I That doesn't uh, mean that, that, that she doesn't miss your love. <laughs> I suppose that's true. She it's, did, you know, have you inside of her for nine months. Yeah, but that wasn't really her choice. <laughs> you know, it was it was pre Roe v Wade. I don't I don't think she had any I don't think she had any options. Oh boy! If it had been a year later, Sarah, it might have been a whole different story. So, all right. Well, in any event, I think that's for a woman. <laughs> I cannot believe what a terrible person you are. I think. Well, to be fair, I got her a card, uh, which uh, you know, which she'll get at some point, and I did think about which calling her. <laughs> I just didn't. And you thought I, about calling her? I just her. didn't do it. Uh, just didn't have stamps at the dog. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mom. And then I did go bowling yesterday, and I was terrible. Yeah, well. I think it was all... It's only going to get worse. I needed to get it out of my system before this weekend. Uh, yeah, but that's right, because we've got the Lister party on Thursday, then the Sleep Country USA bowling thing happening. I just can't believe how bad Sunday. I was. Because, you know, last time I'm like, ooh, 160, I'm doing great. Well, 159. All right. Uh, last time I barely broke 100. As we sort of plunge toward the bottom of the hour, we get a break here in a second. We'll come back with CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Uh, of course, the big news this week, uh, we are heading towards Rick Emerson Listener Party 11, happening this Thursday, May 15th, 8 p.m., at the Christmas 
Crystal Ballroom. Uh, the centerpiece of it, the Rick Emerson uh, Roast, featuring Roastmaster Carl Click and a panel of all-star roasters. Music by Nickel Arcade, music by Emerson Starship, who are going to be doing something kind of different. They'll be playing some sort of incidental music throughout the evening, and then at the end of the party, at 10 o'clock or so, uh, they'll be doing a set of songs, uh, a lot of the songs from the show. Uh, so sort of rock versions of songs from the show, uh, whether it's intro music, watch themes, some of our more popular bumper music segments, whatever. That's all going to be happening uh, at the sort of climax of the of the entire party um can i uh, can i announce the other thing oh you're talking to me yes i am oh yes all right ladies and gentlemen um the acting career of tim riley has been an object of some curiosity and fascination and dare i say fetishism uh, on the part of the audience uh, for usually some time. we're not allowed to talk about it usually we're not allowed to talk about it uh, but that's only because that's only when there's money to be made. That's true. <laughs> um, but uh, Rick Emerson, listener party eleven uh, this Thursday. In addition to all of the other fun, frivolity, merriment, mayhem, and whatnot, uh, will feature. Can I call it the world premiere? Yes, it is. Will feature the world premiere. The almost finished product. Um, the world premiere of a brand new short film uh, starring our own Tim Riley. It's uh, eight minutes of merriment. Tim, what is the name of the film, Tim? I wrote it down. <laughs> Degenerative Degeneratization and You. It is a takeoff on those uh, 1950s type of... Uh, classroom education films? Yes. Excellent. And it's a glorious black and white with lousy sound, as you would expect for the 1950s. As it should be. In the uh, frames jumped, as you would expect, and their hair is running through the film, and it's wonderful. Wonderful. And you can tell yours truly is reading off a cue card for the entire <laughs> film, just as it should be. Excellent. So, cool. in addition to everything else, in addition to like 900 reasons uh, why you ought to be at the listener party this coming Thursday, uh, we've now added one more to the pile, uh, the world premiere of a short film starring our own Tim Riley. So, for those who have followed Tim Riley's acting career or attempted to follow Tim Riley's acting career... If you ordered a copy of Firestorm for 88 cents from Australia, but perhaps never received it for some reason, this is your chance to see the Olivier-like skills of Tim Riley on display on the relatively big screen of the Crystal Ballroom. It's in glorious black and white. It's all very exciting. So yeah. that is coming up uh, this Thursday. All right, uh, let's do a couple calls, then we'll take a break. We'll come back with Lisa Desjardins around the corner. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. I'm going to go ahead and forget Mother's Day. You go on and on and on on Friday about how Susan Reynolds came in and circled it like a million times on your calendar. Every year on your birthday, you got on and on about, oh, I don't like when people like, try and give me presents on my birthday. I feel like I should be giving my mom a present on my birthday. And you go and forget Mother's Day. You're a bad man, Rick Emerson, and you deserve everything you get. Thank you. Bye. I agree. Mother's Day is a big deal. I didn't realize it until I got an earful from my mother because she was asking me to come visit. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I'll just come, you know, in a couple of weeks. It's not important until she sat there. And she was so upset that uh, that I thought that it wasn't as important as it was. And I'm really glad that I went because it was so special to here's, her. Here's what I think, though. I think that because my mother has six children, I distinguish myself by, not calling by being her. fashionably late. I call on Mother's Day today. Look, anybody could call on Mother's Day. The phone was probably busy all day. She got like five kids and a hundred grandkids. Did you, did you do the flower thing? Did you already have uh, that? Well, yeah. I mean, that's some things are sort of arriving, but it's like the phone call is sort of the, is sort of the thing that I know that people that is... pin a lot of importance on. But see, I do it today. After the rush, the dust is settled. She thinks it's over. How she could thinks you even that... avoid Mother's Day yesterday. I can't believe you got through the day without being I reminded. I stayed in the house it. with a door bolted. So she thinks the day has passed. She thinks that oh, now it's another 364 days until I'm remembered. But no, 
Rick Emerson calls on Monday, and she gets, you know what it is? Then it's like having two Mother's Day. Then it's like having a Mother's Day that is extended by a, by 100%. It's sort of because it's like a small high of hear Mother's Day. I can't you describing that to her. You could say, I didn't want to be as thoughtless. <laughs> Mom, I wanted it. Well, see, I didn't want it to seem like I, obligatory, Mom. I wanted you to know that I was calling because I meant it and wanted to, which is why I'm calling on a day that's not Mother's Day. Are any of these working? No. No. All right. Well, let's take a break. We'll come back with Lisa Desjardins around the corner. Uh, later on, Cena Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, James Rook, Top 5, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth, the Dry County Crooks in the studio, and more about Rick Emerson, Listener Party 11. Stay there. Back. Hey, okay. I am starting to get a complex. I sure you couldn't tell. Yeah, but you're going to look hot on Thursday, so, you know. It's clean on my dreams. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Now, three days away from Rick Emerson Listener Party 11. Uh, here in a few moments, we'll talk to Cena Radio Correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Also, Steve Casterbaum coming up. Jim Roop, top five. Uh, the Dry County Crooks in the studio later on the day. Uh, speaking of the Listener Party, so we, so Tim and I were talking about going and kind of getting our clothes picked out. Uh, I've gotten, some people have asked me some list, like, well, let's see, we've got uh, this from Kristen. Kristen says, this is my first uh, ever Rick Emerson listener party. I need to know what to wear. Um, do I have to dress up? I guess this question should be directed at Sarah. Ha ha. Uh, no, not at all. No, Don't, no, no. Absolutely not. Don't feel compelled to look good enough. We're dressing up because we have to. Really, that's, that's the, the thing. If we're only, yeah, we're only doing it. If I didn't have to, uh, I would just do the same thing I always do, which is to wear jeans and a t-shirt. So, yeah, really, the only people who have to look, uh, who have to look nice, uh, are the people on stage uh, on Thursday. So. Yeah, don't worry about it. Just the, the wear whatever you would normally yeah, we're wear. Putting on our, yeah, we're putting on a little show for you. It doesn't. You yeah. don't need to do anything. So dress up, dress down, doesn't matter. Uh, as long as your junk is covered, it's kind of all. Uh, it's all good. So that's really the that's really the only requirement. So no, no special wardrobe, no special outfits, uh, no special clothing requirements, uh, no cover, no ticket, no whatnot. Just uh, grab your ID. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Oh man, I got to cover my junk. It's, well, I mean, at least at the beginning of the party. Maybe by 9:30 or so, the rules will have laxened a little bit. How are you guys doing? What's up? Good. This is Jesse from Red Hot Pistol. Hello, sir. How have you guys been? So uh, I had a couple ideas for the listener party, which I'm stoked for. I can't wait for Thursday. But it's probably too late for ideas. But I know you've always done, like, uh, you know, uh, eating contests. You just have a durian fruit eating contest. Yeah, I think that was before um, I think that was before Intercom killed those listeners in, in California. I think that's a little – that has sort of put a uh, – that's put the kibosh, I think, on any sort of forced ingestion contest. Yeah, that's so true. But okay, the other one is brilliant, and um, it's uh, the, you call it "Who's the Man?" and you get five women, and one of them is actually a man, and then Richie <laughs> would have to kiss them all and then figure out which one's the man. Okay, here's the thing: we probably won't do that on Thursday, but we're going to do that. Yeah, we'll do I'm that. I'm writing it down right now. <laughs> Beautiful. Hey, and don't feel bad on Mother's Day. I called my mom yesterday, uh-huh. and she didn't answer either one of her phones, and still hasn't called me back. Actually, so I don't know if I did something wrong, but my mom wouldn't even talk to me on Mother's okay, Day. Okay, actually, and in my own defense. I should note uh, that last Mother's Day, and I do believe on her birthday, uh, my mom didn't answer the phone either. And so I just ended up leaving her. Hello? Hi, it's me. It's one of your children. Just calling to wish you a happy birthday. Yeah, last uh, birthday and last Mother's Day, my mom didn't even answer the phone. So really, the evidence precedent would indicate she wouldn't have answered the phone yesterday either. That's the lie I'm going to tell myself. You can always just tell your mom that, you know, you didn't have any money and didn't pay her phone bill. She'd probably believe that coming from you. <laughs> and then on the upside, she might send me some money. All yeah, right. there you go. Thank you. See you Thursday. Thank you. All right, there you go. Uh, let's, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hills. 
CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello. Hi, guys. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm wonderful. I'm excellent. Couldn't be better. Geez, I'm delighted. Or am I bluffing? Um, half and half. I, 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 you want it to be true. <laughs> that, that really is. That is the sad reality. Yes, I'm trying to. I'm trying to will myself into a positive yes. mental state. Yes. Oh, good God! All right. Um, well, it's been a while. How's it going? It has. It's been a while, and then. Well, never mind. I'm not going to continue my... It, I, the prep sheet is just confusing sometimes. I know. I know. You you guys fall in this terrible slot where the new prep sheet for the day, uh, you know, the second phase of the day prep sheet comes out in 20 minutes, but it's it's always... they need We need it to come out, you know, at the 11 o'clock hour so you guys can take a, a good look at it. It's I mean, fine. I guess 10 a.m. is really when you guys would want to see it. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's just, it's just CNN builds me up sometimes only to dash my hopes. Oh, but that's okay. Oh, no. We done. No, just because I'll look at the prep sheet in the morning. It says Lisa Desjardins is talking about a fantastically exciting story that you can't wait to discuss. And then we call like, yeah, she was doing that until 9 a.m. Uh, would you like to talk to Dick Uliano about the space shuttle? You know, which that's that's always what it is too. The replacement story they suggested. I was like, look, Lisa's not around to talk about uh, uh, you know this 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 wonderful, compelling, gripping story. Would you like to talk to Ed McCarthy about taxes on beets? <laughs> so, and the answer to that is always no. By the way, All right. right, right. Well, I don't even know where to begin then. Uh, so, <laughs> Jesus, I mean, okay. Yeah. So, is the Oregon primary? Gonna, and I don't mean this in some vague, philosophical, uh, sort of navel-gazing kind of way, but I mean, really, does the Oregon primary matter at this point? Here, here is the good news for Oregon, and I'm kind of excited about it for you, is that Oregon looks like the place that will put Barack Obama over the top in terms of pledged delegates, in terms of kind of your real average Joe voter, the votes that matter the most. And already the Obama campaign is putting that out, that they expect to have the majority of pledged delegates Thanks to Oregon, if everything goes according to what they expect, when you guys vote. So it, it is going to matter in that sense. And once Obama has those pledged delegates, it's going to be so difficult for Hillary Clinton to argue, yeah, we know most people voted for him, but uh, I have a better shot. It's going to be harder for her to do that. Uh, and, of course, also hurting her is the fact that superdelegates are quickly, quickly jumping to uh, his side of the basketball court. Now, you know that I pull for Hillary Clinton just because people don't like her. And so, yeah. and, and you know, and it, it is sort of my genetic imperative that that always puts me firmly in somebody's court when they're loathed by a great chunk of the American public. Yes. So, but that being said... I mean, she's having to loan herself like $6 million to keep running. And right, and she, she said she may have to loan herself more. So total, if you're, you know, for those at home with the tote board, $11 million that she has loaned herself. And we know that that is more money than she personally has made. So it seems like, you know, Bill is in on this as well. And so she's hosed in, in like every conceivable, uh, you know, no matter what element of the math you look at, uh, she's just getting the fuzzy end of the lollipop. And I mean, there's just there's just no way out. I mean, she really is just into a corner here. So I know this is, sounds like a dumb question, but why? Why? Why is she still running? This is the question everybody is asking. There are all kinds of pundits coming in with all kinds of answers. The truth is. Nobody knows for sure. I think at the top of your Dave Letterman list of why she's still running, uh, although significantly less funny, is she believes she has convinced herself and, and she believes deeply that Barack Obama 
is not going to win against McCain or that he's going to have a much harder time than she will, that she is the Democratic candidate that can win and that Barack Obama just does not have the shot he has. That's, that's what you hear the most from the campaign, and, it, and they say it in a way that you're like, wow, you, you guys aren't just saying that. You really, they believe it. They believe it deeply that she is a better candidate against McCain than Obama. But even if that was People true. Other thing. But, yeah. but even if that's true, even if you let, let's, uh, in, in bizarro Hillary world for a moment, let's assume that it's true that McCain will just beat Obama in a walk. Uh, that, that still has no real bearing on what's happening right now. In other words, that is a thing that would only come into play this fall, and presumably it's a thing that only Hillary really believes at this point. Oh, see, so you're talking you're talking the reality of the situation here. You're, you're saying, well, come on, what, uh, what uh, is really going on? You know, I think she's waiting for the macaca moment. She's waiting for Barack Obama to stumble and fall, and then she can say, I told you so. Hey, everybody, it's not too late. I'm still here. Aren't you lucky? Look at me. Do you think that she was sort of emboldened uh, by the Jeremiah Wright thing, uh, that they figure if that's out there, that something else is out there, or something else, that there, there are still other shoes to drop in the Obama campaign? Yes, and she's looking not just at that, but the numbers that came from that, showing very clearly that white America had very serious doubts about Barack Obama after that. Of course, you know, speaking generally, you know, not everyone in white America, maybe not even the majority, but there there was a tremor that went through the white wing of the Democratic Party, if you can even call it that, but white Democrats paused in a way that black Democrats did not when that came out. And specifically white middle and lower class voters, those hardworking Americans, as, as Hillary Clinton refers to them, they are the ones that really paused and sort of froze for a moment, and she saw that as a major opportunity and a sign uh, that Obama is weak now and weak in the fall. Okay, so and, and then that leads to my next question, which is based upon your experience with politicians and mm. politics and, uh, and, and, and just the, the raw numbers and sort of political reality of the way the party system works, based upon your experience and observations, this may seem like a dumb question, but when when the rubber meets the road, is it solely and only the nominee's choice as to who the running mate is? These days it is, yes. But if we if Hillary Clinton stays in this, if she doesn't actually uh, release her delegates, she she could certainly have a say in vice presidential choice because it, it just becomes another uh, major it becomes the biggest leverage she has, what is she going to get out of those delegates if she knows she's not the nominee? Well, maybe she can influence the choice for a VP. It seems like both campaigns are pretty realistic. They realize a, a joint ticket is very little. It doesn't help either candidate at this point, even though it, it certainly would help Hillary get it back into the White House. But it does, politically, they realize it's not likely. But she certainly could have an impact. It would be. It's not something we've seen in most years. But if she wants to, she wants to hang on to those delegates, and she wants to have an impact in those decisions, she could make that argument. It, it's going to be tricky. You're right. By and large, the candidate themselves makes those decisions in modern politics. By the way, somebody else, uh, Tom Likas, who does the afternoon show here, was ruminating something last week that really it, he was noting that the Democrats do seem to just be they're just the most relentless self-saboteurs. Uh, I mean, the right. de Democrats just can't seem to bear the idea of winning anything. And so they do everything they can to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And as he noted, you've got George Bush, who has the lowest approval rating of any president since they started doing the survey. And how could Democrats possibly muck up the works here? And, you know, you kind of see how... How it's this is this is a case study in how Democrats do that. We've said before nobody blows a lead like a Democrat. Really, it really it, it's incredible. Yeah. You know, 
know, although I've got to give Republicans credit. They really picked, I think, the candidate uh, that politically, you know, who knows what would have happened. They had some very strong candidates, but I think they, they picked the candidate that appeals to the broadest group of people and I think gives them the best chance, the best shot at this. And, and you almost feel like they sort of uh, drunkenly stumbled into it. <laughs> uh, final question here before, before we wrap it up. Um, so because Oregon does this, uh, this weird uh, mail-in thing. mail-in vote, right? Which is, yeah, it is a conspiracy. The, do, <laughs> is there any sort of, I mean, you guys don't do exit polling or anything like that, or I guess, or how could you? I mean, is there any sort of, do you that know there's any kind of... question. I don't know the answer to that question. Well, see, somebody specifically said, ask Lisa this, uh, because they assume that you are politically uh, omniscient. Uh, about these things. So and I would be curious at some point to know the answer to that. So if you, you know, in those uh, spare few moments you have uh, in your hustle-bustle day, okay. it, I would be curious to know if there is any sort of exit polling done here in a mail-in state. I That's be... a really good question. I I would think no. All right. I would think no, but we'll, it's, pos- it's possible, I guess, to be, I don't know. All right. Um, and then other quick updates, just in the past couple of hours, according to CNN's count, Barack Obama has eclipsed Hillary Clinton and the superdelegates. Now I show because now we've had it's it's almost every half hour we get a new superdelegate for Obama. Uh, he's got four more superdelegates than she has. Your totals are about uh, 1870 for Obama to 1700 for Clinton. And then here's the great story. John Edwards still has those 19 pledged delegates, though people in South Carolina are telling us that those pledged delegates have actually been asking the Edwards family to release them. <laughs> uh, but uh, Edwards, uh, no. Excellent. All right. Uh, as always, are you on tomorrow? I'm not on tomorrow. I'm actually on assignment for a couple of days. Okay. So we will then talk to you uh, the next time you are back on the clock. Until then, it is uh, always look into that. Uh, you know, not a big deal, but look into that, that that thing about the exit pollings. I would be curious to know that. We'll... I will. I will look into that for sure. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Lisa. Okay. Great. All right. Go, Lisa. Ladies are down, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. Excellent. All right, we got Steve Kastenbaum coming up here to just a few. This is whoever this is. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Morning, Rick. Hello, Hey, um, you 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 kind of failed on that uh, email about the dress code for that nice lady that uh, that uh, wrote in. You you should have like told her to like dress up in the whole schoolgirl ensemble. I'm sorry. We're not doing that this time. No, I immediately got a response from a guy. You should have told her to wear something skanky. So uh, I will say this: that uh, yeah, well, we on stage are going to be uh, dressed up, you know, like uh, like the guy that parks your car at the, the Marriott. Um, yeah, the, the people in the audience doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, dress up, dress down. Dress like a dress like a whore doesn't matter to me. I don't care. Uh, but uh, yeah, so there's, there's no special dress code in addition to the no cover, no ticket, no whatever it is. It is it is all on y'all. However you want to do it. Just basically suffice to something slutty if you're female and if you're Richie, cover everything. <laughs> if you're Richie, put yourself inside of a bag. There you go. All right, thank, thank you. you, sir. All right, there you go. You know, if you're a female, you don't need to dress slutty. You don't. And I mean, I think. I don't even think we did the schoolgirl thing last year, did we? I think, I think we, we kind of moved on. We moved from on. That no, that was, that was exactly. And I mean, be, it's not like there's anything wrong with it, but it's kind of. Well, as we just did it, we did it. We kind of did it as yeah. far as we could. I think we took it as far as we could. Um, and again, it's, I'm not, you know, whatever you got because I yeah, did. Yeah, used to be dressing however you want. I actually just have like a bunny heard. Rabbit if you want. I have heard a few. I've gotten a few emails uh, from women who are like, "Hey, I've got my schoolgirl outfit. You know, whatever. Fantastic, great. Uh, I'm not the. We're not the, discouraging it. But I think there was a time when that was. We pushed that as. I don't want to say a gimmick, but you know, like a thing we did. It was sort mm-hmm. of a trademark thing we did at the listener party. We I think like, it was also yeah, when we were trying to kind of establish ourselves and figure out what we were 
doing. Yeah, and you know, so it, I mean, yeah, we're certainly not we're certainly not opposed to it. But I think in years past, we sort of did like if you came as a schoolgirl, you like you got a prize or you entered a contest or whatever. Uh, we kind of moved off of that. But that being said. Uh, wear the schoolgirl outfit, come as a whatever, come you know, it said dress to the nines or just dress casually. It it really doesn't matter. Uh this is uh at, at the risk of being all corny. This is this is us putting on a show for you, uh, not vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh so please just to be wearing uh, whatever it is you would normally wear out, but uh yeah, the uh, the only rules are those uh yeah, that you, you can set bring, for yourself. And you can bring cameras and everything too, right? Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, so just, yeah, there's no, you know, we're not going to have one of those, where the guy at the door is, you know, like, there's no photographic devices, doesn't matter. So just, it's, as far as uh, y'all go, it's very casual, uh, and just kind of come however you want to come. Uh, let's see, Rick, about the tux, let's see, this is back on the thing of me and Tim and Richie getting the tuxedos. Rick, have you taken the time to note that when you were best man at your brother's wedding, you had to go, uh, you had an entire year to get your tux, but you waited until almost literally the last day and had to have your clothes FedEx from Vegas or something. But when you throw yourself a party, you have your clothes an entire week in advance. Way to go, ass. Well, it's... You really are a jerk. Have you called your mom? <laughs> no, I have to go pick myself under the break, because I don't have her number down here. And I... And it, 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 as much as it would be radio wackiness, I don't want to call her on the air. That would just make my mom is not, uh, she's not as comfortable with that as you know. Like, Remember like when my people. mom came to visit once that I tried to get her on the air and she just would not refuse to say anything. She was that my mom. It's not that my mom is really shy. She just wouldn't. She's a simple woman. She just wouldn't. She wouldn't really know what to do. So I will call her uh, during the break. Let's see, Rick. Um, see, here we go. Here's from a woman. Uh, we can be overdressed if we want to be, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it is uh, the only boundaries are those of your imagination. So uh, wear or don't wear uh, whatever you would like or not like uh, on Thursday. Rick, I'm excited. I never really have an excuse to dress up. I want to see you in the dress. I really, because I can count on, I'm trying to think if I've ever seen you really dressed up. No, I don't think so. Like fancy pants? Um, that one Halloween party, like four. Where you years came ago. as like a mall. You came as a gangster mall. Yeah, with, yeah. Where I had with that. Justin, where you had like the the cigarette holder and it's like a fur coat. Yeah, kind of thing. and that's when I had my hair that was really short and blonde with like ringlets. But I, I only even vaguely remember what you looked like that night, and there's only a couple photos of you from that night. Uh, and I don't think since then no? there was that when you and I went and Kevin it went as Kevin and Brittany. At I wore yeah, and beyond. Old wedding dress. You had a wedding dress on, but it, you know, it, you know, it, that, that's sort of different. It wasn't. That's not dressed up in the traditional sense. So I don't think, for as long as we've known each other, I don't think I've ever seen you really dressed up. Yeah, and you've seen me like I was wearing that, but when we took pictures, like I was only wearing like that '80s dress, so that wasn't yeah. even, like a fancy dress. No, and I mean, and you kind of saw me on. Uh, Whatever, two weeks ago when we yeah, did those still photos. Yeah, I think it was the first photos. time I've seen you dress up, too. It's going to be very interesting. All it's right. going to be. We're going to be classy. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City. CNN Radio correspondent Steve Casterman. Hello, sir. How are you? All right. Doing good. I'm sorry. Like, the thing where I thought I was going to hiccup there, and then I thought it was going to be a burp, and then it was neither. It was just like one of those weird pockets of air that's in the back of your throat for a second and then just goes away. How was your weekend? Satisfying? Oh, yeah. You know what we did? We had um, our first open house for our apartment, which is up for sale. Is that where you just sit there and strangers come and tromp through your uh, yeah. your home? That's got to be. And we've decided to try to sell it ourselves instead of going with one of the evil realtors in New York City. Well, because, well, now, if you've got, now may I ask in which borough you live? We live in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. So, I mean, I I don't know anything about anything, but I mean, what kind of, I mean, is the housing market just the crap as, as far as trying to unload that place? You know, actually, the neighborhood is still pretty good. It's uh, we're lucky in New York. You know, it, the, the real estate market here operates sort of in a bubble. 
And when the rest of the country goes down the tubes like it has, in New York it just goes down a little bit. So, you know, it's not great, but it's it's good. Because, I mean, the property there really is worth... You know, here's an interesting idea. You should do this. You should actually... Um, Take a piece of property. I don't know how you would find it. This is this is the sort of uh, lame story that people love uh, to talk about. So you could probably get a little mileage out of this. Uh, you should actually do some sort of a human interest story that you tie into the current economy and the uh, in the real estate market by taking a piece of property, a, a typical residential piece of property in one of the boroughs in New York, and compare it to uh, the price of gold. Find out if it, if it is worth its weight in gold. <laughs> I think that's an interesting idea. Is like this house, if this house was made out of gold, how much would it cost? And what is that compared to the actual price of it now? Now, it probably won't be worth its weight in gold, but you might find out what it's worth its weight in. In other words, well, this house isn't quite worth its weight in gold. It's actually worth one quarter of its weight in gold. But we did find out it is worth its weight in Nathan's famous hot dogs or, you know, whatever. <laughs> See, I need to get you in on our pitch meetings, our story pitch meetings on, on Tuesday. I'm telling you, can I just look? I don't have a lot of skills, but one of them is pandering to the absolute middle. That's really one of the only things I can do. If I do something like that, I'm absolutely going to give you credit for it. All right, I'm just telling you right now, the house, is it worth its weight in gold? And if not, what other wacky items might the house be worth its weight in? So, all right. <laughs> I like that. All right, it's what I do. Well, with this, too bad the, uh, listen to this segue. Well, with that kind of wit, it's too bad the late night slot has been taken, Steve. Oh, yes. Otherwise, I could go amuse people there. So this is what Jimmy Fallon, who's been doing, he's been doing nothing. He's been sitting at home for a few years waiting for this, or... I guess, well, everybody's waiting for this, right? Conan O'Brien is waiting for Jay Leno to finally say, I don't need to do this anymore. And if Conan O'Brien finally gets the opportunity to move on to The Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon will be able to move on to NBC's Late Night. But, I mean, so there's, there's several things at play here. Because, A, because this is not, I mean, despite what they're saying, this is not Leno's choice, right? This is, the, the NBC's kind of telling Leno, like, a walk before we make your run kind of a thing. Yeah, but it keeps getting delayed. You know, they had set a date in uh, a line in the sand when they first announced this, and didn't it get pushed back? And 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 you know, or he made remarks saying he wasn't so sure that he was definitely going to leave then, or or something along those lines. I I think that there was some because Leno has had strong but not overwhelmingly good ratings, and Leno is now strangely in the because it just seems like yesterday that he replaced Carson, and Leno is now facing a little bit of the same difficulty that Carson faced in that his audience is aging, and it is aging into a demographic that NBC doesn't necessarily covet the way that they cover covet, let's say, the Jimmy Kimmel demographic, right? Uh, which seems that that seems. I mean, that is almost certainly the reason why this whole musical chairs thing is happening. So Yeah, but it's been a while. I mean, they've been talking about this for ages, and there was also the talk of whether they would try to, to uh, lure David Letterman away from CBS and back to NBC, and then that didn't happen. And, uh, you know, it's, this has been going on and on for so long, and, and they're saying that this is going to happen in 2009. But, you know... I, I'm I'm skeptical, you know. I'm I'm cynical, and I'm not going to hold my breath on this. I mean, does it seem to you? And I'm not saying they don't have any viewers, but does it seem to me? It seem to you like the, the late night television show, especially Jesus, one that starts at 12:30 at night. It just seems like we've entered a sort of era where that is not necessarily the cornerstone of viewing that it once was. I, I, you know, I remember, you know, when Carson 
was sort of in his heyday up through the 70s and the 80s even, the next day, everybody talked about Carson's monologue. Did you see? And right. Carson's monologue was the five-minute distillation of everything you needed to know going on in the world. And if something funny happened on Carson, everybody talked about it the next day, the way they do now with, you know, whatever, Lost or The Sopranos or American Idol or whatever. Uh, or, the, or The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. That's really taken over a large segment of that audience. It that, doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really seem like late night is where that sort of zeitgeist is these days. Well, I think what's happened here is you, you got a guy, Jay Leno, who's trying to fill Johnny Carson's shoes uh, for a very long time. He was trying to keep that legacy alive instead of just – he didn't initially make the show his. You know what I mean? Right. He was just trying to live off that Johnny Carson uh, you know, success and, and keep that audience going for a while. When, you know, he's not Johnny Carson, and, and, and he took him a while to realize that and, and find his own niche, and, and, and in that time – Letterman, you know, found his, uh, got his stride going uh, on, on CBS, and he's doing well. So, yeah, I, I think that Leno is a bit of a disappointment for NBC, and, but that's got to be an overwhelming slot. You know, can you imagine being given that show? Well, you've read, of course, Bill Carter's book, The Late Shift, haven't you? Yes, exactly. And, I mean, the, the difference, and I don't just say this because I'm a CBS employee, I really think this is true, the difference between Leno and Letterman uh, is and always has been that Leno is a comedian with 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 a talk show, whereas Letterman is really a broadcaster in the truest sense of the word. Uh, Letterman is a guy who has an appreciation of and knowledge uh, about uh, the medium and the format and how it works. And Letterman's a guy who sort of lives it. Uh, whereas again, Leno is you know is a very skilled nightclub style comedian who was just given a talk show. Um, you know, and that's why that show has always felt a little thin, I think. And that's why in the grand, when they write the grand summation of 20th century late night television, it'll be Carson followed by Letterman. Uh, with Leno, I think a third, you know, a distant third in terms of importance and certainly in, the, in terms of impact. Just my, just my. And what about Arsenio Hall? You know what? Can I tell you this? I think Arsenio Hall got and gets a bad rap. I really do. I think Arsenio Hall. I would like, you know, I, I don't think you mentioned, and we're, I know we're, we're out of time here, but that's a, that's a really fascinating question when you ask about, you say, what about Arsenio Hall? I mean, really, it does seem strange when you look back that Arsenio Hall was so, seemed so influential and just burned so brightly and then gone, and that there hadn't really been, there hadn't really been a successor to him. Yeah, uh, that, that show was in and out. I think he was doomed by his incredibly long index fingers. Remember, he was always pointing. <laughs> and those unfortunate sweaters that he wore, that didn't do him any favors either. Yeah. He, yeah. he, he and Cliff Huxtable were shopping at the same sweater store for a while. All right, my friend. Well, as, uh, as always, it is a pleasure. Are you on tomorrow? Yes, I am. Speak to you guys then. All right. Thank you, my friend. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen, in New York City. Did you even watch the Arsenio show? Is that is that before your time? No, I mean I remember it. I didn't. I've never been a big you know late night talk show watcher. Right. So I mean I I was very aware that he was on the air and that he was popular, but he was Arsenio Hall was not. I mean he was he was there was this time and granted not a long period of time, but there was a chunk of time when Arsenio Hall. It, actually, this sounds like a strange analogy, but it's like we were talking about Eminem a few weeks ago, and I was saying that the, the kind of I think I speak for everybody when I say we sort of got to a point where nobody really cares about Eminem. He's sort of it's kind of off the map, which seems impossible. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was the same thing with Eminem. Like, you know, you know, up up until like 2002, 2003. I mean, he was the biggest thing in music, and it was mm. it revolutionized everything. And it seemed he was one of the most towering figures in the entertainment industry. 
And it, it, it was hard to imagine then that just a few years later you get to a point where nobody really cared about him. And that's what it was with Arsenio Hall, because he was considered so revolutionary, and that show was just so groundbreaking in the audience that it attracted. Um, and, and now he's just... I don't even know what Arsenio Hall's doing now. Tim, what's Arsenio Hall doing today? Probably sitting around watching TV. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's just nothing. Uh, yeah, he's not acting. I don't, I don't think he's acting. Anything. I don't think he does stand-up. Maybe he's got a... Maybe he and Yakov Smirnoff share that theater in Branson. Well, all right. Uh, all right, we come back. We've got uh, the news with Tim Riley. Uh, later on, we will talk to CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roof. The Dry County Crooks will be in the studio and the top five. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Rick Emerson Radio Program, 503-733-2970, 503-733-2970. Uh, coming up later on in the program, CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roop, top five transvestite songs of all time, and the Dry County Crooks will be joining us. This, however, is your personal savior. Time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. John McCann is here uh, for the first time, and he's scheduled to visit Vestas. It's a local wind turbine manufacturer, and he's going to speak there around 1230. Then he's having a finance reception and victory dinner tonight. Victory or what? Well, I, I guess he's victorious in the Republican Party. Got to celebrate the victories he has, Tim. That starts at 5, and like most Republicans, it's over by the airport, so they never come into town. <laughs> of course not. No, no, the town. No, the, the town this is a little Bay route. No, they stay by the airport so they can... They can they can flee quickly in case anybody from uh, you know. So that's that. So we'll find out what all the other candidates are up to in a few minutes. But first, our most important story: arsonists are setting fire to Portland dumpsters. Apparently, there's an arsonist loose, and he set fires in five dumpsters over the weekend on Salmon Street, Madison Street, Sixth Avenue, Seventh Avenue. All the fires burned sides of buildings and blew out several windows. The damage total: five thousand dollars. So like Madison and Salmon and where? Madison, Salmon, 6th Avenue, and 7th. But, like, downtown? Yes, downtown. Oh, it's 6th and 7th, oh, where they intersect with 6th and 7th. Yeah. What? I don't even know what those dumpsters, dumpsters would be. Is there construction or something? There's construction everywhere. I suppose. No, that is true, because that's right in that section where they do the roads are just destroyed forever, mm-hmm. forevermore. Yeah. Oh, I, I had a terrible time. Of I course drove you here once, uh, I drove here last week. I could not get out of here. Oh, no, it's right? impossible. And they take you around in circles and circles and circles. And you think you know a shortcut, but you don't. You can't get there anyway. Were you, I would not want to go downtown. Were you trying to get uh, across the river to the east side? No, I was trying to go home. <laughs> no, you can't. That can't ever go out. That can't ever happen. So I ended up taking I-5 South, getting off in Tigard, and then cutting across 217. It was ridiculous. Who would want to come downtown right now? You know, the thing about it, and it's just, it's like, it's like the whole downtown is just a big roach motel at this point, too, because, and you've got to always remember that it's there because one uh, one wrong mistake, one wrong move, you know, one wrong turn, you will pay for that with your life, with hours and hours of, of your time. So if you remember that downtown is just a big cluster uh, and you avoid it altogether, or if you go in a huge loop to, good, you know, to, to make sure you miss all the construction, you'll be fine. 
but it's not a thing where you can just take a wrong turn and go, oh, I'll fix this, because there's no fixing no. it. No, because, and you then it takes you back to the place where you can't turn again. And it feels like you're in some sort of a British hedge maze at some point, because there's just roads that go nowhere, uh, right-turn-only lanes that just lead you into a big hole. It, it is the Groundhog Day of traveling. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's 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 among the worst things I've ever seen. And there's a, and here's the other thing. There's this free downtown, I think it's, um, God, maybe 5th. Um, and you turn there, and I swear to God, there's a sign saying, like, like, like this road's still open. Tur- turn left here and get where you're going. And you turn there, and then at a certain point, there's just this cyclone fencing that just starts, and you feel like you're, um, you feel like you're a cow in one of those, like, slaughterhouses that's slowly being led down the ramp and herded into a thing where they put a bolt in your head. And it, the road just gets narrower and narrower. And then at one point, there's a massive pothole and then just, a, then like a wall in front of you. And you kind of go, where, where the F, like, where am I supposed to go? <laughs> and the only place you can go is to turn left, which I swear to you just puts you back on the same treadmill yeah. again. So uh, the moral is don't go downtown at all. Like, not for years. It, I mean, it was terrible. I, mean, I couldn't go home. Yeah, no, it's awful. So no, no matter what you do, it dumps you into the middle of a giant traffic jam. Right. And wherever you want to go, you have to sit there for another hour. Well, and that's the other thing. And you're always surrounded by people who either, A, uh, also have forgotten that there's construction, so they're all trapped with you. So you're like, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like a, it's like Jean-Paul Sartre, but downtown Portland version. Uh, or people who, God help them, those poor souls that actually work downtown. How'd you like to be one of those guys? Oh. How'd you like to be, where do you work? Lloyd Center, or not Lloyd Center, but, you know, whatever that Nordstrom is downtown. Yeah. Um, you know, one of those, the poor saps that has to work at Starbucks right in the middle of the city. Oh, man. I can't even imagine what, what that's like. I mean, if you work downtown right now, when five o'clock comes or whatever quitting time is, I just wouldn't even go home. I'd just give it a good three, four hours. You know what I mean? Tell your family you'll be home at 9 p.m. So, all right, here's Tim Riley. Well, there is one good thing. The tram will resume Sunday service beginning May 18th to accommodate the summer tourist demand. It'll operate between 1 and 5 on Sundays through uh, September 14th. Also, starting Monday the 30th, the tram schedule will be modified to better serve weekday riders. And the Saturday service will continue its regular schedule, which is 9 to 5. A graduation party at Warner Pacific College turned into a melee Saturday night. When underage teens apparently crashed the party and fights broke out, uh, this happened on Northeast Whitaker Way. Uh, apparently, this they rented a basketball court inside an industrial warehouse. The cops had called about 12.30, and there was a report of a loud party. They saw people fighting both inside and outside. Well, there, were, there were numerous drunken people, including minors. Too many fights just for the inside, Tim. Uh, then the partygoers became hostile toward police. Supervisors were called in, all available officers, and they had to use pepper sprays, so they busted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All were underage except for one. I have a great idea. Uh, you know, because there's, uh, a lot of times there's concern about uh, police uh, use of force or alleged police brutality or the, the, the cops, uh, you know, spraying people who don't need it or tasing people who are just... Oh, these people know. needed it. Oh, I'm, 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 sure, I'm sure that the vast majority of times when a cop takes out a taser, it's because somebody really is richly deserving it. So, But I had this great idea. This allays civic concerns while at the same time being entertaining for the rest of us. I have this idea that every taser... Uh, and maybe you could do this with pepper spray, but probably at least a taser. Every taser ought to have attached to it a little miniature camera. 
Uh, which you can make, I mean, you can make those things unbelievably small now, like that camera that Richie brings around with him and he's strapped onto his baseball cap. Uh, that thing's tiny. So every cop taser ought to have a little tiny video camera that, that's just, that really is only, you know, uh, it only needs to hold like, you know, two or three minutes worth of video at a time. And so whenever you point the taser at somebody and press the button, the camera starts going at the same time so you can see whatever it is the person is doing that requires them to be tased. So now if there's any sort of allegation that the cop tased a guy who didn't need a comment or the cop was overzealous uh, with the stun gun, this way you have evidence, and then it's entertaining for the rest of us when you see some dick who clearly just needed a good tasing or just needed some kind of unbelievable beating. Uh, the rest of it get to watch it then. So, all right, just, to, just I'm going to pass that idea along to the city of Portland. Here's Tim Riley. Oh, speaking of things that must be kept in line, now they found something that's capable of beating up on alligators. They're going to use giant Burmese pythons. Uh, they were once the rage's pets. Now these beasts are capable of swallowing an alligator. So they're going to be putting them in swamps where the alligators are causing trouble. So we will be taking the alligators, which are running rampant and threatening human life, and we'll be replacing them with giant Burmese pythons, That's which correct. are capable of swallowing an entire alligator. Uh huh. Okay. Makes sense to somebody. So then next year, uh, we will have a story about giant pterodactyls that have been imported from someplace to get rid of the Burmese pythons. That'd be this better. is exactly like yeah, that Simpsons CSI episode. CSI is like on the ball, because CSI just had an episode where a uh, giant python ate a human. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, this is just... But you know, if you, on the if you work on one of those shows, I figure if you work on either a cop show or a medical show, that your, your job, you just have interns or somebody just constantly scanning police reports and medical reports uh, to find... Horrific things that have happened, so you can work them into the show content. Uh, but speaking of which, I still think—I mean, I really do believe that there's a great CSI uh, episode to be uh, to be had out of Richie's weirdness of seducing men as a woman in Grand Theft Auto and then shooting them in the back of the there, head. You know what? Honestly, they have had an episode similar to that, but it was a man. But it was more of a cyber community, and the women were on there, but then, like, men were pretending to be women and, you know, like, kidnapping and brutalizing and, you know, raping. And I, I think that there ought to be... I wasn't laughing at the raping. I think that there ought to be, though, because what we found out is that Richie, after having inadvertent cyber sex with this woman that turned out to be a man, that he was then going on to Grand Theft Auto, pretending to be a woman, kind of seducing these these guys who were also playing Grand Theft Auto, and then just shooting them in the head. And what I because Grand Theft Auto though is based on the Grand Theft Auto 4 is based on New York City. So I had this idea that what would happen is you would have an episode of CSI where there's a serial killer uh, and he's uh, you know whatever he's causing mayhem in the city. They go to the suspect's house and at the suspect's house they find a game running, some sort of Grand Theft Auto World of Warcraft type of game that is set in the city where the show takes place. Uh, and then it all leads up to the scene where they go, my God, because it's always my God on those shows. My God, he's been using this game to train. And he would be playing like Grand Theft Auto Portland or whatever. And then he lives in Portland. So he's using an ultra-realistic video game to... Um, to do dry runs of his serial know, killing in the actual city. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. It's a great idea. It's the best idea this, ever. This guy who just asked me, my friend on the MySpace sounds like a serial killer. Women are like parking spots. They're whores and liars. <laughs> that was his quote. <laughs> a, please add me. Friend. I like to play video games and shoot people in the head. All right, here's Tim Riley. Well, a Hillsborough woman who lost her credit card suspected a gas station worker used it to go on a shopping spree. Ashley Ford says she dropped her credit card at the Conoco Phillips station on TV Highway th Thursday night. 
Uh, she didn't realize she left it there till Friday. The manager of the gas station told for that the card was locked in the safe. When she and the Hillsborough police officer asked him to open the safe, it wasn't there. Uh, Ford said the manager handed the car to an employee so she could report the car to the bank. She also said she watched surveillance video and said she saw a woman using the credit register and then walking away with a car. According to Ford's bank, somebody charged $500 to the car two times at Radio Shack. We just paid our rent. We're getting married. Our account is empty. There's nothing to it. We're wiped out. They called the police for answers. Uh, her fiancé received a call from the gas station manager. He told me the car ended up back in the store. It was placed there hidden on the counter underneath a pack of cigarettes. Of course. No arrests have been made, but police are investigating. Uh, by the way, we've got this about uh, downtown. Hey, Rick, if you think driving downtown sucks, try catching a rerouted bus. A few weeks ago, I rode the train back into town from Seattle. I started toward downtown to catch my bus home, but all the buses are rerouted, and there's nothing that tells you where your new bus stops. I literally walked on 3rd to the middle of downtown, then to Pioneer Square, then back to 4th, then to 6th, then down to 1st. I am not exaggerating when I say I started at the train station and literally ended up across the street from your radio studio, all the while lugging luggage during a horrific rail, uh, hail and rainstorm. Man, I, uh, and I... You were trying to get to the airport using the train, were you? No, I think he was... I get the feeling that he had taken the train back from Seattle. Okay. Came back to the train station here. The Union Station all yeah. the way down there. Oh, yeah. that's a long walk. But then lives in the suburbs so, or, or or somewhere, but needed lived you know, but needed to catch the bus. But there's nowhere that tells you, like if they if if, if they have changed the place where you catch that bus. Oh yeah. They, like if you go to the old bus stop right now, I don't think there's a place saying like this. The bus stop has been moved. The bus stop that used to be here is now four streets over. I think you just sort of. I think it's like a process of trial and error. I think you just have to walk around and find it. I mean, I don't know, because I don't have to take the bus downtown at this point. But I think if you go to where your bus used to stop, there is no marker telling you where that bus now stops at. It's a ye old bus stop. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, it's like when you go to a, like when you use somebody's old email address or like when you call, the number you are calling has been changed. The new number is, but I mean, they need one of those for bus stops. Of course, there isn't. There's just, and sometimes I think at some of the uh, the bus stops that have been moved, I think the old bus stop sign is still there, mm-hmm. and so you can be sort of swindled into thinking the bus will eventually come by. And then there's like time lapse photography to you as like a skeleton holding your luggage, like waiting for a bus that never came. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello, and happy Monday to you. Hey. What's up? Uh, sorry to burst your bubble. Uh, CSI Miami did that killing. Uh, they even have the kill tally on the screen. God damn it! Really? Yep. And was he using the city in which he lived, but like a like a, a like a video game version of it as training? Exactly. Well, Christ. <laughs> it was. It, they used scenarios from the video game to uh, like rob banks and everything. You know, that's my only good idea. Really, it's in terms of television shows. Told that's you, CSI it. is on the, on the pulse of society. <sighs> Let's see. We got here. This Ellen says CSI Miami did an episode where a bunch of college kids were using a video game and escalated to quote living the game. That's that must be what you're talking about. Yep. How long ago was this? Uh, probably about a year and a half. That's great. I'd like to know that I'm 18 months out of date with my ideas and inspirations. Thank you, sir. No problem. All you right. probably subconsciously like had it on in the background somewhere, and then it kind of got into your brain. Filtering it in my list. This great idea that I came up with. I rule. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Complaints over foul balls pelting homes in Northeast. These balls are foul. They've led the city to shut down the baseball field. The Hollywood Little League apparently upgraded the Hollywood Fernwood baseball diamond for playing. But neighbors said too many balls are hitting their homes, causing a safety hazard. 
Neighbors say they're okay with the field. It was used for T-ball, but three years ago, the Hollywood Little League started using the field for baseball games. Since then, the neighbors say they've collected buckets of foul balls. <laughs> most of them in their backyard. <laughs> Bad. Balls are okay unless they're foul. Most of these foul. are hitting our homes with a lot of force. It's only a matter of time before there's injury to a child. Uh, Hollywood Little League... By being that, hit with foul balls. That's right. Uh, they have no intention of leaving the neighbors out of the planning process for this. Uh, the league assumed that the city would communicate with neighbors. We went forward with the assumption that everybody was okay. Looks like they're not. Until then, foul balls continue to pummel the neighborhood. What you don't want is for your child to be hit with any foul balls. That's true. All right, here's Tim Riley. Well, let's see what else do we have here. Oh, there was a big earthquake in China today. Uh, 9,000 people have been killed. It struck uh, China's Sichuan province. Hey, let me ask you a question. Is Myanmar in China? No, no. Myanmar is its own country. But, I mean, it, it's not one of those countries that, like, China, like, lays lays claim to. No, nobody wants to lay claim to this. It, it's, uh... Well, it's not it's now. <laughs> I mean, it's not now. It's all broken. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know, let's say a week ago. No. It's all its right. own country. So, but wasn't there some sort of fuss about how we were trying to send aid, but then China wouldn't let us do it? No, they they wouldn't let the aid in. Who? At Myanmar. Now, I thought China... Steve Kastamon made it sound like at the U.N., China was somehow the sole, like, no vote. And they were they were somehow not allowing there to be aid sent to Myanmar. I haven't heard that part. All right. And Myanmar is what used to be called Burma. Yeah. Do you well, know, it should be called Burma again. Because no one can pronounce or locate Myanmar. At least Burma was a name that you read. Everybody could sort of understand well, and agree on. It's a ridiculous on. name. It well, means nothing to anyone. Well, do you know why they changed it? Probably some new military uh, government took over. A new regime came into power. They have nothing else to do but change all the signs. <laughs> it's sort of like everyone becomes a little sign maker. <laughs> well, that's what it does seem like that happens in a lot of uh, in a lot of countries where uh, when it, when you you know the new boss comes in and the first thing the new boss does is to change the name of everything, mm -hmm. right? You know that's that is notorious. Radio stations are notorious for that, by the way, where you get a new program director someplace. And no matter what is going right or not going right, no matter what is successful or not successful with the radio station, as soon as you get a new PD there, suddenly the name and the logo of the station, which happened here, by the way, I should say that we're no exception to that. Yep. Uh, it was called Johnson 970, and uh, they hired us, and, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I hadn't been in the office 90 seconds. We're changing the name and the logo. Uh, so that is a thing that radio was filled with. A new PD who comes in and just puts their stamp on the station by, by changing the name or whatever. So maybe that's what Burma was. It's nothing but a big swamp, really. And, and here, and I think I can speak for all Americans, and I say that really, when you say Burma, all I think of is those shaving signs by the side of the road. And here's an interesting thing about that, Tim Riley. You'll appreciate this. Yes. A, can you recite any of the full Burma-shaped jingles, you know, the signs from memory? No. Uh, B, neither can I. But how weird then that C, we all kind of know the concept. It's sort of strange that we all know the Burma Shave thing, and we all know the gimmick of those Burma Shave signs, which is the sort of unfolding poem by the side of the road, and yet I can't actually recite any of them. That's an effective ad campaign is what that is. I don't remember the, uh, the actual verbiage or what the copy said, but I know the product, I know what it does, and I know how the ads ran. So somebody ought to get a Clio Award for that if they haven't already. So it's now it's, uh, called the Union of Myanmar. It is the largest country by geographical area in mainland southeast China. Wait, so it's so it's in China? No, no, Southeast Asia. Did oh. I say China? Yes, you did. You're making me think of China, and I don't want to. <laughs> the country is bordered by no China. No one does, Tim. 
The country is bordered by China in the northeast, Laos in the east, Thailand in the southeast, Bangladesh in the west. So all these lousy little countries. God, being bordered by China has got to be a special brand of suck. Living next door, it's like living next door to a like a like a weightlifter who just drinks whiskey all day. <laughs> just sit there, so please don't kill me. I mean, it, right? I mean, it just seems like at any moment China might just decide, you know, we're retired of you, <laughs> gone. So that is smaller than the U.S. state of Texas, slightly larger than Afghanistan. Um, let's see. So well, people are sending us variations on this information. Two things about China. One, uh, so this weekend. Um, I was, I had to change some light bulbs in the house, and so I was opening up the light bulbs, and I noticed on the back it said, you know, product of the People's Republic of China, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's like how when somebody points out, or like when you get a new car, you suddenly notice that car everywhere on the road. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the light bulbs on Saturday as I was sort of changing them, and I noticed that they were made in China, and so for the rest of the day, I was sort of checking products that I would use, or if I was at the store or anything, and every single thing on earth is made in China. Everything comes from China. There's, you can't, I mean, you, I don't even know how, where you would go now to buy something that's not made in China. Secondly, so I put this light bulb in, it was one of those weird, um, like the, uh, you know, what, the corkscrew light bulbs, like not the regular bulb, but the new sort of energy saving ones, whatever those are called, I don't know if there's a typical name for those, but I screwed in this light bulb and it was the weirdest thing. Have you guys had any of these light bulbs in your house that put off a strange... I want to say it's like a fluorescent light, but it's like this weird, sickly version of daylight. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. I hate those. Oh, those those seven-year bulbs that only last six months? I don't know. It's the first light bulb like this we've ever had in the house because, uh, anyways, they're not as bright as regular light bulbs. But it's weird. But it's but it's a it's a it's a it's a specific kind of light. And if anybody out there has used one of these light bulbs, you will immediately know what I'm talking about. So there's the regular light bulb, which are the old school kind. There's the regular old uh, you buy them off the shelf. Uh, light bulbs um, that are you know sort of like shaped like a pear. Then there's uh, the ones that are that are squirrely, that are the sort of corkscrew energy shaving, uh, saving light bulbs that are just a regular white light. This light bulb that I put and I put it in my home office uh, because I flipped on the light, the light had gone out. So I put it in the home office. I screw it in. I put the fixture back on. I go over and I flip on the switch, and it's like it, it's like some video game version of daylight where they're trying to approximate what daylight looks like but they can't quite pull it off and my wife said that it looked like a fish tank uh, the the office looked like a fish tank light bulb i said that it sort of looked like uh, you know it, it reminded me of the light bulb that like a serial killer would have uh, as he was like d- disassembling the cheerleader in the basement like this weird half daylight half fluorescent thing it's the, it's kind of freaking me out actually and every time i go i went into the office this weekend and i would turn on the light and the the room would suddenly be bathed in this weird sickly sort of bluish glow it kind of unnerved me and i can tell from your expression that you don't know what i'm talking about that you have not used one of these yet I don't think so. It's really bizarre. You'll know it, and I and I, I threw away the packaging, unfortunately, so I can't tell you what kind of light bulb it is. But it's bizarre, and to the to the point that it makes me wonder if the light bulb has some specific use that I didn't know about. Like if it's like if it's really only supposed to be for uh, like a fish tank or like for a garage or something, or if it's supposed to be uh, like if it's supposed to go behind a colored fixture. It's all very weird. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Well, hello, Rick. What's up? Uh, well, a few things since I've been holding those light bulbs. I think they call them natural white. Yeah, it's it's or something. Whatever they are, they're out. weird. I threw mine out. I want the 
off yellow. It was. I, I couldn't figure out whether I liked it or not. And I will say this, too, that if you were not in the room, if you had the light bulb on, but you weren't in the room, like if you just walked by the room in the hallway and you sort of glanced in, you would swear it was daylight, even at night. Uh, at night, you would walk by the office, you'd see the office illuminated, and it looked like daylight. Uh, it's uh, it's very sort of strange. I find it a little bit uh, unsettling. Uh, what else, sir? Yes. Oh, um, the the Burma shave uh, reference. <laughs> something going on in the background? I'm working. Um, yes, let's take all the time you need, sir. <laughs> My own, my only recollection is when they did that on a on a Mash episode. Well, I I only know the Burma Shave signs from seeing them at Mad Magazine. Uh, that's my thing. It's one of those things that you sort of know because it's been recycled and repeated throughout the culture, but I never really saw it like close up. So, all right, final thought. The final thought is um, last night that uh, news story about the Hollywood uh, Little League yes, sir. was on late night news, and they showed an old man with a garbage can. Um, full of uh, the foul balls of Little Leaguers. <laughs> Thank you. That's in the serial killing basement. All right, thanks. We'll just move on from there. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. What's up? I'm like 64 years old and grew up in Kansas, and we used to drive by one of those Burma shave things on the way to Grandma's. Can you recite it from memory? I can, in fact. Please do. It was like, I think, seven signs in a row, and the very last one was the word Burma shave. Right. the only reference, but it went, he lit a match to check gas tank. That's why they call him Skinless Frank. Yeah. All right. Thank it you. It was that oaky. All right. Thank but you. I remember it clear as a bell, bro. Thank you, my friend. You got it. All right. There you go. It's weird how people's voices are ageless. I like, never would have thought that guy was like 64. 32. Yeah, I thought he was yeah. average. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, this is Kevin. What's uh, up? Those, those light bulbs that you're talking about are called compact fluorescent bulbs. Okay. And there's, there's a couple different varieties. There's your run-of-the-mill ones, which give off that nasty, ugly light. And then there's also the natural ones, the natural light ones. And those are supposed to give you, like, the full spectrum of uh, light so that you can, you know, have a happier day and not want to kill yourself for living in Oregon. Yeah, it's, re it's really bizarre. I mean, because they, they it's like... Um, Why don't they put them in prisons, though? I, well, it's like um, when you see CGI or something, and the CGI is really, really good, but you're, you know, but somewhere in your brain, your processing can kind of tell that it's not real. You know, you can't quite, you can't figure out exactly what's wrong with it, but you know the picture doesn't look right somehow. That's right. what these light bulbs are like, because they don't look fluorescent, they don't quite look like daylight. But they look enough like each of those that you can sort of, you know, that, that, that it's sort of familiar. I mean, this is sort of a pointless discussion, I guess, if nobody has seen these. But I guess they, they are more and more common on the shelves. But it's, I can't even imagine having a whole house full of them. I think it might give me a mental collapse just because well, I kept, it kept freaking me out so badly. And, and the funny thing about it is I've actually used these for a couple of years, and I've never had one that's lasted more than, like, two or three years. Yeah. Well, Even though they last seven years. Light bulb, the fact that light bulbs, and this is a whole conversation for another day, I suppose, but the uh, the fact that light bulbs even last as long as they do sort of weirds me out. I mean, I don't understand how that works. Uh, you know, that you can you can heat a thing to, I don't know, whatever, hot enough that it glows. You know, it glows hot enough to fill an entire room, and yet it lasts for like five years without burning out. The whole thing just, and the fact that that's like a 150-year-old invention just makes my brain hurt even more. Well, you, even the regular light bulbs have an inert gas on the inside, and that's what it from just burning out right away. Yeah, these are all things I don't understand. All right, thank you, sir. Yep. See you Thursday. There you go. All right, we should take a break here. We'll come back. More from Tim Riley around the corner. Later on, CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roop. Top five songs about transvestites coming up. Uh, the Dry County Crooks. 
who we're hearing right now, will be in the studio later on today as well. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. I gave her that ring, hoping she'd be true to me. That soon find it was drunk sincerity. Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. You know, Burma Shave comes from the same era as something else. I made a note to myself about this on Friday at 8.31 p.m. I think I think Laura and I were on, we were walking along Hawthorne. I think we were going by that uh, Was that when I of, saw you? Was that Friday? Friday, Friday night in which I met like five different people all in the course of about nine minutes on Hawthorne. Because um, we ran into, uh, we saw Corey uh, at his restaurant, and then we saw uh, Joni and her daughter driving along, and then we saw you and the farmer walking along, and then it was like 30 seconds later that we ran into, do you remember that guy that called the show on Thursday, or maybe it was Friday, that to say that he was a ba- in a band and they were playing at the Hawthorne Theater, or at yeah. Mount Tabor? Yeah, that was Friday. This guy, Steve, from a band called Five Times Fast, and he had sort of pitched himself to play for the listener party, and, you know, we ended up going another direction, as they say, but he'd called Friday, and he'd said, hey, you know, I want to let you know, my name is Steve, I'm a listener, our band Five Times Fast is going to be playing at Mount Tabor, we're really pumped about it, I'm like, hey, that's great, whatever, you know, good luck, have a great show. So on Friday... Uh, I think after we saw you, we're walking along Hawthorne, and I hear a guy say, hey, Rick Emerson. I look over, and I, I, it is that guy. It's that guy, Steve. And he says, hey, I'm Steve. I called you today. I'm in that band five times fast. You know, we called you about, and I said, oh, yeah, you guys are playing in Mount Tabor. You know, how's the show going to go? And the guitarist, I shouldn't lie, the guitarist had just broken his hand. Oh, so, no. So they didn't get to play? No. So after all of that buildup, they never got to play. It's like a full-on That's that a thing you do moment where, where like the drummer is hopping over, um, where Giovanna Ribisi is, is jumping over parking meters and busts his arm. So, yeah, like an hour before showtime, they're, they're, and I, I had the sensitivity not to ask how that might have happened. Uh, but like, yeah, like 90 minutes before the show, their guitarist busted up his hand, so that ended up uh, not taking place. But I was walking along Hawthorne, and I guess it was Presence of Mine or one of those stores right around there, and they had sock monkeys in the window. And I started thinking to myself, like, first of all, that's, it, it, I think everybody finds sock monkeys creepy for my reasons. Sister, I have a sock monkey next to my bed because my sister actually made me a sock monkey for Christmas for all, one year. It's just a, they're very strange looking. They're strange looking. I know a lot of people who find them creepy, but here, this was really my question because sock monkeys, Tim, would you agree that those come from, those are like a 50 sort of a thing, right? I guess so. I think sock monkeys sort of, uh, that is when they first entered the American mainstream and everybody started doing them. But here was my question. In the 1950s, there was no, uh, you know, there wasn't any internet or anything. Uh, there was no way for information to spread like that. So how is it that the entire country just knew to start making monkeys out of socks? How did that happen? You want to know that you're asking for the origin of sock monkeys. I'm saying that's two different ideas. You may have been on the same page as Jumbles or, or <laughs> Ann Landers. <laughs> right next to Goobus and Gallant. Um, or maybe Parade Magazine. Because, I mean, in the 50s, there were a limited number of places from which you would get your information. And so it's two seemingly odd ideas that suddenly everybody learned. A, everybody in America somehow got the idea, we've got to start making things out of socks. The second idea was, they have to be animals. And then the third idea, because my grandmother, you go to my grandmother's, in fact, both of my grandparents, you go to their houses, and filled with sock monkeys from the 1950s. Why socks, why animals, why monkeys, and why did everyone start doing it? In the 50s, there must have been some event horizon. There was must have been some moment in the 50s when a memo went out to households instructing them to make fake monkeys out of socks. 
I just don't know how that happened. So that's going to be another one of those things I put in that uh, that feature movie I'm going to do someday that's just nothing but nine-minute documentaries. There's going to be a nine-minute documentary trying to figure out why we all decided to start making primates out of monkeys or out of uh, out of socks. The whole thing is just very strange. Here's Tim Riley. So Apple claims its online stores in the U.S. and the U.K. are sold out of the iPhone. This is all because the new di- next generation is coming up very soon. On the same day, the people who make the BlackBerry are introducing their first new major model in more than a year. It's called the Bold. It's a high-end model that further demonstrates the company's desire to make tools for both work and play. It has twice the screen resolution of the current Curve model. Is that what you have? No, I have the uh, I have the BlackBerry 8830, which is the uh, that the is the that's, that's the man's edition. That's uh, that's the yeah that's the that's the edition for like companies or whatever. It's the the world uh, edition, which is actually qu- great. I, I quite like it. Uh, the Pearl is okay, although I think the Pearl is the one that doesn't have it doesn't have the full QWERTY keyboard. Uh, and I don't understand the point of that. Because if you're not going to have a full keyboard, I mean, you might as well just be typing on a regular cell phone where you got to hit it like three times to find an F or something. So, But that's all them trying to hold off the iPhone. And by the way, that thing about there being no iPhone sounds like a bunch of crap. That seems like a manufactured shortage of what that seems like. Remember the big rice shortage last week? The what? The big rice shortage? Well, I oh, think, yeah. But I mean, how can there not be any, uh, how can there not be any iPhones for sale? That just seems ridiculous. I don't know. It's not like they just quit making them. Or they would, you know, or they just assumed that nobody would want them. So that is a little bit of a, that's a little bit of a, I think a corporate smokescreen that Apple is floating, trying to convince you that there is in fact a shortage when, when there isn't. Here's Tim Riley. So getting back to this uh, Chinese earthquake, where thousands of Chinese have died, but the big question is, are all the Americans okay there? It was really violent. You want to find something to hang on to, and we were very fortunate. I had been on the second uh, floor, and um, I came down to have tea with a friend. And if I'd been on the stairs, it probably would have thrown me down the stairs. Jesus. Uh, Shen Gu of the Chinese Daily Newspaper in Beijing says the Chinese Premier Wen Jiebu has called for calm. He was quoted as saying by the Chinese Central Television Station or CCTV, there has he been said no that my fellow Chinese facing such a severe disaster, we need calm, confidence, courage, and efficient organization. Wait, so this is a... That's kind of creepy. It is. <laughs> Stay in your homes. <laughs> wow. So, um, no problem. My home is on top of me. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Uh, so this is so this is separate though. I can't keep any of this straight. So there was the Chinese earthquake is separate from that from uh, the Myanmar thing. Yeah, uh, the Myanmar. Myan, Myan, Myanmar. Yeah. Um, and so there's an earthquake in China that killed how many people? Uh, Nine thousand. Nine thousand. Jesus. That's uh, a lot. And then there was, uh, and then there was. Well, can you imagine how easy it would be for a Chinese house to tumble down? Well, I mean, how they they make products that they ship over here. <laughs> Everything's just made out of cardboard and spit. Just a whole lot of a lot of houses uh, made out of uh, like refurbished yarn. The lead saver. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, and China is. I mean, obviously, there's a billion people, right? There's a billion yeah. Chinese. But in a place the size of the U.S. Well, that was going to be my next question, because I don't know, because I'm an ugly American, so I don't know anything about anything. So there's a billion Chinese, but I was going to say, this sounds stupid, I was going to say, is it crowded? But yeah. I mean, is it, but I mean, is it it's sort of like New York crowded, where it's just people on top of people on top of people? Yes. So like, if you knock over a bunch of buildings in a Chinese town, like that's, that's a lot serious. Of people underneath it. That's serious business there, yeah. All right. Well, okay. And then, and then here in America, although it sounds really petty to say this, there was 20 people killed in some sort of 
Some sort of tornado or something? Or something. That... Yeah, but that happens all the time, and they rebuild and it gets knocked down again. More people killed. <laughs> you know, it's their own fault for living there. <laughs> I mean, you would think at some point that God has given you enough warning shots. You know what I mean? There are several open spaces where nothing bad ever happens. Well, that was good. Gonna... People don't move there. That's the other. I think that is the other difference between China and between China and us is that really in China they have no choice. There's you no do. there's nowhere to go. And even if there was anywhere to go, I don't think you'd be allowed to go there. Yeah. It's like in Cuba. Well, I'm going to move to a glory. You're not moving anywhere. Stay where you are. Whereas here, we got whole states we're not doing anything with. Yeah. This is all those people just moved to Idaho or something. All right. Uh, let's see here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show about the iPhone. Hey, Rick. Hello. Wanted to correct you on your on your theory about the shortage. Okay. What it is is that there is a new iPhone coming out the end of this month, early June. The three and gigabyte places one. like the U.K. and Ireland sold out much faster than they expected, so there's no new... Old iPhones available. Oh, but that's that's not in America. Well, there are there are starting to be shortages in certain regions because they can't get what's left distributed properly. So is this okay? So the so the new iPhones are running out before the or rather the old iPhones are running out before the new iPhones are there. Right, and so it's something Apple. It's something that people notice with Apple with all the new products when they come out. They start to run out of the old version just before the new one comes out. Well, that's handy, isn't it? And it, it, is that the same way that Apple also mysteriously charges like nine times uh, what you're going to pay for the product six months in at the very beginning? That's the uh, Apple. You know what? I, and don't get me wrong. Uh, I do admire this about Apple. But Apple has really got their marketing and their product rollout down to a science because they know they can just soak those early adopters for the, you know their, for their entire bank account. Doesn't matter what it is. What's this? It's a box of dirt, but it's eye dirt. It'll be nine million dollars. All right, and people will stand in line for it. Right, right. <laughs> but 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 every six months, a brand new thing comes out with all the top line bells and whistles. I know. No, don't get me wrong. I'm the same way with the TiVo. Uh, every single time TiVo rolls out a brand new one, I'm just right there to buy it. If I waited three oh, months, I could pay fifty percent for it. But uh, but of course, I'm an American, so I have to have it now. Yep, definitely. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, here's Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth. A Japanese company is developing a vending machine that counts the wrinkles and skin sags to check a smoker's age. It plans to use face recognition technology to prevent anyone under the age of 20 from buying cigarettes. Vending machine companies could be prosecuted if tobacco is sold to anyone under the age limit. Uh, purchasers who failed a digital camera age test would need to show the machine an ID card. You know, can I just tell you this? That when Japan does things like this, it somehow doesn't seem terrifying. Whereas if they make robots for everything. But, I mean, don't you think that we would find that horrifying if it was here? Like if an American company was creating a vending machine that counted the wrinkles on your face before letting you buy something, we would all be horrified and we'd think it was the rise of Skynet and the, the Cyberdyne systems was about to launch a first strike and we'd call scream Big Brother and Orwell. But when the Japanese do it, we just we think it's kind of... We think it's kind of quaint. Like when they, like when they, quaint is the wrong word. We think it's sort of, when the Japanese do it, we just kind of think it's nifty and sort of amusing in a sort of, we don't really understand how that country works kind of way. Like they have that robot that they just marketed now that like hangs out with your grandmother and keeps her company, mm -hmm. you know? Where like, you know, like you're, you, know, you, the, you know, maybe grandpa's gone, grandma lives alone, you don't want to put her in a home. You just bring in some sort of Japanese grandma bot and it just hangs out and plays mahjong with your grandmother all day. If we had that here, we would just find it completely terrifying. But in Japan, they kind of go, well, they're Japanese. You know, and it's just sort of like it just kind of like they had that vending machine that sells used women's underwear. You know, he's going to go, well, it's Japan. What do you want? Like we just sort of accept it as, you know, just a perfect, a perfectly normal export from Japanese culture. Here's Tim Riley. 
Meanwhile, voters in West Virginia head to the polls tomorrow to vote in the state's Democratic presidential primary. Governor Joe Manchin said Hillary Clinton is heavily favored to win in that uh, mountainous state. President Bill Clinton is an extremely popular ex-president in West Virginia. They love him. So there's a comfort level there. And people get comfortable, and sometimes they stay in that comfort zone. West Virginia is keeping its distance from Obama. Uh, some of the comments were around the state. I heard about Obama. He's a Muslim and his wife's an atheist. That's not us saying that, by the way. That's uh, some hillbilly saying that. Yes, occupying a swath of the Appalachian Mountains between the Bible Belt and the Rust Belt. What a better place to be. <laughs> West Virginia is a swing state. Uh-huh. Uh, West Virginia is hostile territory for Mr. Obama because it has few African Americans and affluent college-educated whites to uh, support him at all. The state has the lowest college graduation rate in the U.S. So can we... Is it... It has one of the highest uh, proportions of white residents, 96 point, oh, 96%. So is it, is it demographically accurate to him to say that it's poor, uneducated white people? I would say so. I mean, it does seem like uh, that seems demographically speaking. Did you say it's a low income? Yes, they uh, have doubts about his patriotism and values and his cosmopolitan background, his exotic name. His exotic name, not like mine. And Jeremiah Wright, his former pastor. He, Jeremiah Wright's a new Willie Horton. Of course, he really is. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, one ambulance driver insists he is not racist, but would feel more comfortable with Mr. McCain. Uh -huh. He says, quote, I want someone who is full-blooded American as president, unquote. <laughs> wow, really? Are you, Are you kidding me? No. This is West Virginia. This is 2008. Full-blooded American? Full-blooded American. I mean, you would have to count... Everyone's mouth in West Virginia to come up with a full set of teeth. <laughs> I mean, because God knows that McCain doesn't possibly sound like it comes from some other country. No. The last name of McCain wouldn't, in, in no way does that indicate any sort of a European heritage. Mm -hmm. Jeez, a full-blooded American. Jesus. Uh, Bill, you know those, uh, Bill Clinton uh, told some folks in West Virginia his wife represents people like you in places <laughs> like this. He also sent a message to people a, like you. to higher type people trying to force her out of the race. Jesus, I mean, in Hillary, a way, Hillary's just like people like you in West Virginia. Uh huh. You know, I mean, in a way, you almost have to admire the fact that the Clintons are just so slimy. They just don't care. They'll do whatever it takes to win. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They, they will address what, whatever group of, of people they are talking to. They'll suddenly talk just like them, and that's when she does that. I don't feel no ways like with you the fake. Uh, the, the fake southern accent or whatever, but I don't feel a no full-blooded American. I mean, there's really people that I mean, they, I, I I would think that I don't know. I've run out of West Virginia jokes. I'm trying to come up with more hillbilly jokes, and I've just sort of realized that I can't possibly outstrip the humor. Plus, the shape of that state is weird, anyway. I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know what's in West Virginia except for coal, coal mines. mines. That's it. But they can't. Coal can't still be the industry there, is it? What else would be? Do we even use coal in this country anymore? I believe so. For for what do we use coal? Coal is uh, used in a variety of things. I'm not sure. Trains? Yes. Is that true? I suppose if you get a coal coal running train. <laughs> now you've turned into a country DJ. <laughs> that was coal running train from Josh Turner. I'm Tim Riley. So... But I don't. But, but Amtrak. Here's a dumb question: What the hell makes those Amtrak trains go? I don't see any smoke coming out of those. I'm not sure. What that <laughs> see, I'm just saying. Now that we're talking about coal and coal running trains and what coal is used okay, for. Okay, on the website here. What makes primary it, uses of coal from the Hog family? 
the byproducts of coal. Is this clean coal, Tim? Oh, my gosh. Baking powder, smelling salts, rubber cement, laughing gas, street lighting, paint pigments. I'd like to thank you for dropping all the G's on your words, by perfume, the way. Perfume, uh-huh. fireproof. <laughs> I'd like some perfume that smells like coal. <laughs> Honey, I'd like some perfume that smells like the underground of West Virginia. Mmm. Soda water, artificial <laughs> silk, a sugar substitute. Uh-huh. Splenda, not with the great taste of coal. I had heard that Linoleum. coal was in soda water, but I never believed that. I don't, I've got the coal. Soda premier. water like seltzer water? The, the, the coal uh, miners of America have put together this coal use tree. Yeah, but I think the smelling salts, the next time you pass out, I call BS really think, on some of billiard balls. <laughs> really? Food preservative? Briquettes Storage batteries? Mothballs. Well, this comes just from the hog family. Phonograph records. That's. Phonograph records. Energy from coal. But, like, half of those things aren't even, half of those things didn't even make it into the later half of the 20th century. All right. So, uh, well, somebody will, uh... There's a coloring book for coal, too. Oh, my God. Power Bear, mm-hmm. who's a big, creepy, anthropomorphized bear shoveling coal... With fat children. Jesus Christ! You have to put that on your website. <laughs> you have to put a link to that. The Power Bear... Hold on a second. Energy from coal. So here is the power bear shoveling coal into a fire. By the way, the children are standing right next to this roaring fire. One's touching the door with his finger. The kid is sticking his hand in the flame. The power bear is saying, heat from burning coal is used to make electricity. And then the children say, we burn coal to get its energy. Those are the ugliest children I've ever seen. The girl has nothing to say. Well, she's a woman. She's not allowed to. (laughs) She speaks when spoken to, Tim. You have to post that graphic. That's wonderful. Okay, but my question stands, though. It, by the way, train were trains anywhere on that list of what we use coal for? Oh, I, I don't believe that. they were. No. So, you see those Amtrak trains. What makes them go? All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Okay. All right. Excellent. Hey. Hello? Hi. 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 Uh, cool. Uh, used for energy, boiling, uh, boiling water to make energy just like it has been for the last, you know, hundred or so years. Wait, so coal goes to, so wait, so coal goes to power plants and then what do they burn coal to turn something to do another thing? Yeah, they burn coal to boil water to turn turbines to make energy. Right, it's like, or, like Rube Goldberg is still behind our energy, uh, the, the policy in this country. Can't they burn? Let me ask you this. Why coal? Why not burn something else? Uh, there's lots of coal and it burns really good. Okay. Excellent. And it makes, and it makes lots of, uh, black smoke and stuff that everybody loves so well, much. That's just an added benefit. Yeah. That's yeah. what the salespeople will call value added, sir. Yeah. All and, right. And, uh, also trains. Yes, sir. Trains uh, run diesel electric. They burn diesel to make electricity that runs electric motors that powers them down the track. So when I see an Amtrak going by and there's no visible smoke or anything, that's because... Oh, are you breaking up? It's... I'm breaking up. No, you're right here, sir. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So a train burns diesel, makes electricity, runs on that. Yep. All right. Thank you. Thank Rick, you. You know what I was thinking about? A good no export idea. from West Virginia? Huh. John Denver. Oh, that's true. I'm sorry. What was I thinking? Just, I can't get past the soundbite of that guy. Uh, or the, 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 the quote from that guy saying that he wanted the game because he wants a full-blooded American. Don't you want to get that guy on the show? Like the guy who said that? And just, that's, I think, the problem 
is Josh Fry, a 24-year-old ambulance driver. 24. He says he is not racist, but said he would feel more comfortable with McCain. Uh, I want someone who was full-blooded American as president. See, I really, uh, and we'll get to, the, the, if you're on hold, or we put you hang, hang tight, we'll get to you in a second. And my thing is, like, uh, he's 24, and which is much, I mean, I would expect, I would expect maybe that sentence to have come out of somebody who was 60 years old, maybe. Somebody who's 60 or 70, my grandparents, I guess, which makes it older than 70. But, I mean, you figure maybe, you know, some old person says something like that. Somebody sort of stuck in the past. Mm -hmm. But the idea that that comes out of a guy who's younger than Sarah is is a little disconcerting. Well, it's because it's between the Bible Belt and the Rust Belt. But the problem with people like that is they never... They, they never sort of... of these people. But, but the news organizations never really press guys like that. Uh, I'm not saying they're afraid of getting killed. <laughs> What they, do you gotta, mean by doing it? drive home Get off my porch, liberal media. Um, because you just want to sort of get the guy on the phone and say, what do you mean by full-blooded American? Yeah, because that doesn't even make any sense. Just, and not to be mean to the guy as such, but just to figure out, because clearly that's Actually, not... John McCain was born in the Canal Zone. John McCain actually wasn't, that's a good point, Tim. He actually was not born in the continental United States. I desperately want to find that guy and get him on the phone. Just so I can ask him politely sort of just because because don't you suspect that like a lot of people who have let's be charitable have um outmoded ideas about america and who's an american and who's not he must have been taught that by somebody somebody told him that uh, or he grew up being instructed to think that way somehow, and nobody ever bothered to clarify it with him. Don't you suspect that if you put that guy on a microphone and just asked him to sort of work it through in his head, that he himself would sort of realize that there's, like that statement comes from nowhere? That well, the, I heard that Obama is a Muslim and his wife's an atheist, said Mr. Simpson, drawing on a cigarette outside a fire. <laughs> Oh, in a coal boy. mining town of 3,400 people surrounded by lush wooded hillsides. Whittling a stick while leaning on a stump. Uh, there's just no hope, man. There's, there really isn't. There, I mean, where do you even go with somebody like that? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show on KCMD Portland. Hello. Hey, Rick. How you doing? I'm okay because I don't live in West Virginia. What's up? <laughs> nice. Um, so, uh, West Virginia, coal. Yeah. They do indeed still mine coal down there. Not only do they mine it. But basically, they take the tops off of mountains and bulldoze them into the valley next door and then strip the coal out, uh, out of uh, the reveal. Good good for them. Yeah. So and West then, Virginia, uh, wild and wonderful. Uh-huh. And then, uh, do you see coal miners are? Uh, a long time ago, yeah. Yeah, things haven't changed. It's, it's still, it's still, lar <laughs> well, these, these quotes would indicate the demographic is fundamentally unaltered from that time. Still yes. exactly the same. All exactly right. the same. Which is what happens if you don't have an education system. Thank you, sir. Bye. Bye now. Um, well, that's like in, uh, there's this uh, city in Utah called Magna, where um, there's a, a copper company that they do a lot of copper mining in Utah. And where this company called, uh, I think they're called Kennecott Copper, bought, they just bought mountains, which you don't really think you can do. You think they'll sort of belong to the, to the government, but they bought a bunch of mountains. And what they do is they just, they hollow the mountains out like an anthill, basically. If you, if you essentially think about taking a mountain and you just start at the very pinnacle of the mountain... And you dig your way down inside, you hollow out the mountain, just throwing everything over the side and getting the copper out of it. So what happens in Utah is you've got all of these mountains, and they're sort of like those... The mountains are all kind of like that town at the end of Blazing Saddles, where it's just the storefront, where the mountains are sort of shells, but the insides of the mountains are hollow, more or less, because they've just been, they've been tunneled out, uh, which is just bizarre. I mean, and the mountains are how, well, these really... If you go to Magna, the mountains have this really weird red color. The mountains aren't brown or white, they're colored red, 
um, because of they go inside and they basically scoop out the inside of the mountain and toss it over the side. So the outside of the mountain is the old inside of the mountain. It's completely freaky. Uh, let's see here. Uh, now I just want to get that guy on the phone so I can ask him what the hell his, his, his problem is. Well, you know that Richie could probably get him. What's the, Tim, can you set that story aside? Oh. I really am. I want to see if we can get that guy on the phone. We're going to do, you know, it is going to be just, a, we don't, just, just to stop down and do examine one small part of this sociologic uh, well, that we have here. if you inquired of this ambulance service where he works. Or if we ring up Birchfield 5925. Uh, party line. If general delivery. Um, if, if you know, we can just ask him. You know, just ask him how it is that he arrived at this idea. Uh, let's see here. Hi, you're uh, on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hi, Rick. Hello. Hi. All right. Um, you wanted to know what uh, trains ran off of. Uh, well, I think a guy said that it was diesel that makes electricity. Is that do you concur? Exactly. Yep. That's exactly the same answer I got. All right. Fantastic. Thank you, yeah, sir. I'm spreading the word about the Rick Emerson Show. You guys are great. We'll see you, on, see you on Thursday? You will. All right. Thank you, my friend. Okay, All bye. Right, there you go. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yeah, Rick, I just want to complain with the idiots that work at uh, rental car agencies in Portland. <laughs> let's not let's not talk about any not specific rental no, 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 car agency. I would, never, I would never point out anybody that was uh, of any company. But thank you, sir. I I need a car to drive for work, and I asked for something environmental. I am now in the biggest truck I've ever. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. What? It's ridiculous. I drive a little Saturn, and now I'm driving this big. It's, it's let's just it's call a it a truck. let's call it a behemoth. Yes, and the so. I mean, did you did you ask them to clarify? Did you say like, why have you put me in this? <laughs> I did. And their, their story, their honest answer was, well, all the other cars have been damaged. Oh uh, well, you know that makes sense actually, and it probably also is the case that all of the small environmentally friendly cars or gas saving cars are probably gone. They're probably they probably. They're deba- I mean, Lycus was doing a whole show about people who tried to poor saps are trying to sell their SUVs at this point, and that's a road to nowhere. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so, well, that's fun. How much is it going to cost to fill that, do you think? More than the rental. I mean, rental's only 25. I'm, I'm guessing this is at least 70. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Well, why was there, though? You're a friend of mine, Rick Alasakis, renting a car. Art Alasakis was renting a car? Uh, Art, I'm sorry, Art Alasakis, yeah. Was he renting it on credit? Uh, he was. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he, he, he made sure, I'm such a dick for saying this, but... Uh, he made sure that uh, that somebody else's name was on the card as well, so it wasn't just him. <laughs> All right, thank oh. you. Thank you, All sir. Right. Yeah, All right, bye. bye. All right, there's that guy. All right, here's Tim Riley. That's so funny. So apparently there's a decrease in the population of West Virginia. Uh, they had more deaths than births there. Only 1% of the state's uh, residents are forest, uh, foreign-born, placing West Virginia among the last 50 states in that uh, and the lowest percentage of residents that speak a language other than English at home is only 2%. So what would you, was the first quote an education quote? And uh, the largest ancestry groups in West Virginia are American, 23%, <laughs> German, 17%, Irish, 13%, and only 4% Italian. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm stunned by that revelation. Uh, yeah, we have to find somebody who thinks and the good news bad news is that won't be here in oregon probably at least not in portland mm-hmm. uh so I, I i would just like to do a little microcosmic exploration it is the most fragile economy of any u.s state according to u.s census bureau data 
Well, how it's can, the third lowest in capita income. Well, how can only ahead of Arkansas though? and Mississippi? But how can if if we still use coal for all this stuff, then why would the West Virginia economy be so bad? Maybe they're not very frugal. <laughs> they blow it all on lottery tickets and pencil shavings. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, let's see. I think in a moment this will be a Jim Roop. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Uh, so uh, more sound bites here from Hillary. With her daughter on her side on Memorial Day, she thanks generations of women for fighting to allow women today to make their own decisions. Women have been standing up for what we believe in, defying convention, and going forward for a long time. What about the brave suffragists who didn't abandon their fight for a woman's right to vote? That's uh, speaking from Grafton, West Virginia, where she commends working-class mothers, not white-collar ones. I think of all of these mothers who take whatever life throws at us. Gets up every morning, gets the kids ready for school, does the laundry, buys the groceries, cooks the dinners, helps on the homework. Is, is Hillary, was that an us? Was she lumping herself into that category? She is. She's just like the folks of West Virginia. She does a lot of, uh, she does a lot of getting the kids ready and going to the grocery store, does she? Yeah. All right. Uh, well, okay, we, we, we'll touch back on this here in just a few. Let us now take a moment to talk to our good friend in Los Angeles, CNN Radio correspondent James Roof. Hello, sir. How are you today? Hello. Oh, I'm sorry. That's I'm sorry. I picked up the wrong line. Hello. Hi, James Roop. How are sure. you, sir? I am well. Did, that's... Tim, did Tim say Memorial Day or Mother's Day? Did I say Memorial Day? I take it back. I meant Mother's Day. Well, it's a day in which... Uh, well, it's getting close. It's a day in which we have memories for mothers. Uh, trying to cover that. I don't know. Uh, when is Jim, Memorial Day? you should ask uh, Rick how his conversation went with his mother yesterday. I'm going to call her after the show. I don't want to call her now. You did not call his mother on Mother's Day. I failed to call my mother yesterday. Um, but as I said earlier, she has many other children. So you to thought it was slack. Memorial Day. Uh, that's exactly. That's going to be my excuse. Cemetery. That's totally it. I was going to be, no, no, no. I was busy laying a wreath at Granddad's grave. Oh. Uh, that's that's going to be my cover. No, no, no. I'm sorry, Mom. I was I was off selling poppies to benefit veterans. I uh, I would have called you, but I was... All day, I was spooning out soup. Uh, what for... excuse are you going to give her, really? The, no, really, the thing, the thing about it is, here's. Look, I'm not trying to minimize the fact Did that I. Did you send her something? Well, yeah, but as Sarah pointed out, it's the phone call that really matters. But two things: a, um, she she did have multiple other siblings. Cause I got five brothers and sisters, and so she was. Hopefully, there was a little. And you know. Mom's not getting any younger. Maybe by the end of the day, she forgot who called her and who didn't. I mean, yeah. who's to say? I, I mean, she's going to say I, I had I have six brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's seventy. So at Christmas, I'd say I called you two hours ago. <laughs> yeah, she's seventy-three. She, pro I mean, I could probably pull that off. Yeah. No, no, no. Don't you remember we had a long? No, we talked about that uh, problem I have with the. Uh, with the squirrels uh, in front of my house. But that's okay, Mom. I love hearing from you. So not only <laughs> did you forget to call your mother, now you're going to lie to her about yes, it. Yes, yes, I think I might. on there, Rick. Good job. Convince her she's crazy. <laughs> hey, he's still her son. It's his obligation to try and get away with stuff. There you go. We'll see, but that'll make her feel better about the whole situation. Right. If she thinks that we did have a long, wonderful, emotional talk yesterday. Um I hope you enjoyed the gift I sent <laughs> last week. <laughs> I don't see a gift. Well, maybe you've rewrapped it and you'll give it to somebody else later. <laughs> um, um, well, that and and not that this is any sort of excuse, but as I have sometimes said on the program, that my older siblings um, have, how do I put this, have set such a horrifically bad example that I almost have to do nothing to still look like a good kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, my, you know, because my younger brother is sort of the best one of, of all of us. You know, he's like, 
you know, he was a Marine, and now he's a child psychologist, and he speaks nine languages, and he's perfect, and, you know, whatever. Uh, so my younger brother is sort of like, he's the Bruce Jenner. He's the golden child of the whole family. But, but the thing is, like, he's at one end of the scale, my younger brother. As you get to my oldest brother, it's like you really do reach the opposite end of the scale. So all of my older siblings... You know, drinking, drugs, arrested, kicked out of school, living in... One sibling who I will not further identify was for some period of time, may still be for all I know, living in a school bus. So so here's the thing. When you've got an older sibling who has long and checkered drug history and lives in a school bus, I don't really have to do a lot to look like I've got my crap together. So the fact that I may call late for Mother's Day... All things being equal, as long as I haven't been arrested for arson any time, it doesn't matter. I still look like a good kid. I mean, that's it. I really do have my older siblings to thank for that. They gave me, you know what it is? They gave me the gift of the lowered bar. That's what they did. Oh, that's beautiful. The gift of grading on a curve. You gotta love siblings. Yeah, sir. I mean, I haven't been arrested for, uh, you know, for for dealing speed at a high school. Well, not so, yeah, not not today. Yeah. So. uh so really, you know, I still look like a, like a relatively decent son. That being said, I do have to call my mom. There you go. How are you, brother? How was your weekend? That was good, you know. Mm. I just uh, did what my wife told me to do, and that was all. There you go. That's that's really how things work out for the best. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, can I just tell you this? I don't mean to, to – well, she probably not listening. So I was I was talking to my wife last night. My wife um, and I were, uh, I don't know, we were watching a movie or something last night, and, and there was some – it was one of, those, one of those things where I said something wrong last night – but and this happens, I think, to, to, to husbands or boyfriends a lot. I said something wrong, but I didn't quite know what it was. Like I couldn't figure out what I'd said wrong, but clearly I had I had done something. And because and you know what I'm talking about, guys. When you hear you hear the tone of the voice shift, and you know I'm like so. And you start to replay the events of the last 20 minutes yeah. in your head. And it was like fine, yeah. fine, fine, fine. You know, in terms of voice tone. And then I said so. Blah 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 blah. You know, because we're looking at a, at a dog tonight that we might adopt. And and I said so. We're gonna look at that dog. And she goes, Yeah, I suppose we are. And I'm like, Oh God. What? And I could just hear the change in her tone of voice. And I was like, I, I, Yeah. So we'll go look at that dog tomorrow, and then maybe get dinner or something. Okay, fine. And I was just like, Christ. What have What have I? And I asked him like, What? Wh- is everything okay? Have I done something wrong? And at one point last night, I was so unsure about what I had done to somehow make her irritated at me, I mean, apart from just being me, that I actually said at one point, this is when she was getting ready to go to bed, and I actually said, you know, you were happy with me five minutes ago, and now you seem unhappy with me. I have obviously done something very wrong, and I don't know what it is, but I'm going to leave and go in the other room now so that I don't irritate you further. So let me know if you need anything. And with that, I just, like, ran for the door. Um, and I think that was the right way to handle that. You know, when in doubt, I just removed myself from the situation. Acknowledge you pissed them off and then move on. That was my thing. And I told her flat out, I'm like, I've obviously done something. I don't know what it is. I'm not that bright. I don't want to make you angrier. I'm going to leave and go li- sit in the living room. You-, you let me know if you need anything, and I'll bring it to you. So, And then, you know what? And the rest of the evening went by like a dream. This happens in my house about every 28 days. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's what we call making a monthly donation to the Red Cross. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, oh, hey, so there's a couple of keywords that will always get me to stop on a news story. Uh, it, it, one is, oh, this is where if I was funny, if I was more on my game than I'd come up with other wacky keywords. There are some keywords that will always get Rick Emerson to stop on a news story. One is, Sarah, what would the, what's a funny thing I could say that would always get me to read a news story? One is... I guess they say Janet Jameson, but that doesn't work. I don't, 
Now, what, something that you would talk about? Never mind. It's a dumb joke. I was trying to make a joke, and it's a funny word. falling apart. Anyway, I think it's some sort of penis thing. Yeah, uh, or, the, or the words Brandy Taylor. Uh, but I saw this. It says Manson. Manson, watch. So, oh, yeah. So, so what is the deal? This is the place where they found Charles Manson. Yeah, this is, this is the Barker this, Ranch in Death Valley where he was hiding out after the... Not the Spawn Ranch. No, this is called the Barker Ranch. The Barker Ranch. This is where he, he hid out after the murders in 1969 uh, for which he was convicted, which included the, the murder of Sharon Taylor. And this is where they found him. There's a picture you can see of the cupboard in which they found Charles. And he was a small man, but they found Charles Manson hiding in this cupboard that was like two by three. Yeah. It was amazing. Uh, so why are they digging it up? Well, there is some speculation through interviews with uh, some of the Manson followers and missing persons and trying to connect everything time frame that there's speculation there could be bodies buried out of this ranch or in death valley uh national park on the other side of this ranch so what they uh what the authorities have done is they've taken cadaver dogs out there and and soil forensics experts to take tests of the soil and to have the dogs sniff around while nothing's conclusive there were enough hits and some consistencies that they decided the only way to find out really if there are any further manson victims out here is to dig the place up so where these little consistencies happen either with the dogs or with the forensics people with the soil they're going to to dig in limited areas in these places starting may 20th i believe it is and then uh, see if they can come up with any bones and any human remains. It is amazing. Charles Manson really is the gift that keeps on giving, like in a news sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, because about every four years, you know, he'll show up. Uh, you know, he'll he'll show up to a uh, uh, you know to his per, per, you know per parole hearing or whatever with like a fresh swastika carved in his forehead. And we'll get we'll, we'll be we'll get to hear the rant. The, yeah. the latest rant. And you'll you get to hear that. Last train to Clarksville, Whitey. <laughs> you know, or whatever it is, like whatever new messages he's heard in something today. Um, <laughs> But um, that's actually not my joke. That's Sam Kinison's joke. Um, Kinison used to do this great riff about Manson, about how Manson was like, hey, I heard the White Album, and he would, you know, the, you know, you're on acid. You, Kinison's whole riff would have been, you were on acid. You would have heard the same message from the monkeys. And then he did this whole thing of Manson's, you know, last train to Clarksville, Whitey. All right. Um, Mrs. Brown, Helter Skelter's coming down. Uh, so then you got like Susan Atkins and Squeaky Fromm, who you know they they show up every now and again, and then sometimes they claim to be to have discovered Jesus, and other times, and then like Squeaky Fromm will get busted every now and again, like trying to send letters out to Charles Manson, but she's apparently still his like you know they're still best friends forever, I guess, and uh, you know so I mean that that whole that whole group of people they really are. Still like the gold standard uh, for crazy cults oh, in this wow. country, I would yeah. think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're, like, in terms of nuts, uh, they're the litmus test. You, they, they are the, uh, they're the toppermost of the poppermost there. Now, Tex Watson, uh, who was, uh, you know, Charlie's right-hand man for a while there, uh, claims he, well, he was the first one, one of the first people in the desert after the murders. But then again, he was one of the first people back out. So he, he claims that nothing happened. There are no bodies there, at least that nothing happened in the time he was there, but doesn't know if anything may have happened after he left. So that's why the authorities are saying, well, we might as well go ahead and dig. And, you know, and like Watson says, I have no reason to lie. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm here. Where am I going to go? Well, and it's, I think they have, like, wouldn't, they, one of their, wouldn't the Manson family, one of their lawyers vanished at some point, and there was this theory that, like, he was doing a bad job representing them, so they figured, well, let's kill him. Let's bury him out at the Jesus. Parker Ranch. Um, a real good, Tim Riley has handed me this. Did you see this story uh, from the AP 
A memorabilia dealer who profile who I'm sorry who profited from O.J. Simpson for many years is the latest former crony to write a tell-all book. Oh yeah, this yeah, one book hits the shelves today. Says that Simpson, while high on marijuana, confessed to killing his ex-wife after he was acquitted. It wasn't just marijuana; it was uh, marijuana, sleeping pills, and beer. Good that, for you, that O.J. Notorious cocktail called Truth Serum. Um, O.J. apparently confessed, but you know I put a call into Yale Galanter, who's his attorney asking if he's going to file a libel suit against the author. Right. Claims, That's bull. That never happened. Sure. O.J. Simpson never confessed. And well, this guy's just an addict who wants money. And did the okay? So the guy, but so the, the lawyer says, well, the lawyer has to say that. I mean, sure. what does he know? Yeah. All right. I really want to. I'd love to get Galanter off to the side and say, look, man, seriously. <laughs> so come on, between you and me. Come on. Just do do it sort of uh, you know. I won't con tell anybody. Connie Chong and Kathleen Gingrich style. Yeah. Just between us, girls. Between us. What, what do you think? So. You, 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 you really believe him? Come on. Ugh. Come on. Has the guy paid you? What's the deal with that? All right, brother. Uh, are you on tomorrow? Yes, sir. Sure am. All right, my friend. Then, as always, uh, have a, a fantastic day. We will talk to you very soon, brother. Thank you very All right, much. there you go. Thank you. See you Bye -bye. radio correspondent. Bye, James Roop. All right, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of the Black Liberal. Oh, what a happy time in Texas. President Bush telling reporters his daughter Jetta's wedding to Henry Hager was spectacular. The weather was... Uh cooperated nicely just as the bows were exchanged the sunset over our lake and just a special day and a wonderful day and uh, whatever we're, we're mighty blessed well this texan believes that jenna is a real texan now that she's been married there i think it shows that she is a very down-to-earth genuine pure blooded america a real texan Another Texan believes Jenna is also a real Texan. I just give her all the credit in the world for turning down a big White House wedding to have what she really wanted. What what, what sort of recording device was that on? I doesn't don't know. That, doesn't that sound like you know what that sounds like? That sounds like one of those old records you would record in the fifties in a in a phono booth for fifty cents. Dear Fred, have we can't wait for you to be home from North Korea. That's what that sounds like there. Also. Uh, Michael Mayer was discussing this on, on Friday, this whole business of her being married in Crawford as opposed to the White House. But she she allegedly turned it down, but you know that wasn't her choice. You know that at this oh, point... Oh, no, Daddy needed that public, that, that positive press. Well, the, and plus, he, and he, that's the thing. It's from Texas, where real Americans live. Well, and at this, like, three years ago, she would have been married at the White House. But right now, most unpopular president since they started taking the survey, survey everybody's out of work, nobody can afford anything, uh, prices going up, recession and whatnot... Uh, you know, and everybody just sort of huddling at home with a shotgun and a can of rice-a-roni. Uh, the idea that there would be some huge, gaudy monstrosity of a wedding at the White House, the American people would not have taken kindly to that. Because you know, I mean, she's a girl. You know she wanted to get married at the White House. I mean, nobody wants, no one wants to get married at a ranch in Texas. No girl dream. When I grow up, I want to get married like a hick, surrounded by weeds. No one wants to do that. The same branch is beautiful this time of the I year. I <laughs> think her idea of getting married in the wild Ankle deep in sand. In the wildflowers. made dresses, the colors of the wildflowers. I think that is very unique. Who is that person? Just some random Texan? Some woman who was told to be a random Texan. Random toothless illiterate rube had this to say. So I'm visiting my aunt in West Virginia next week. <laughs> Anyway, so you know that, I mean, that's probably got to be kind of a blow to her because she probably wanted to get married to the White House. And they just told her to get, you know, Bush, Bush or whoever his advisor just said to get banned because there's just no way. that The people would, I think, revolt. I think that would be one, that would be shoving it in our face one step too many to try to marry her off there. Because, you know, we'd, we'd be paying for that. So, all right. 
While taking a leisurely swim in the Gulf of Mexico off Florida, an Ohio woman got quite a shock when a pelican dive-bombed into her face. Debbie Shoemaker said the bizarre bird attack came out of nowhere. Before I knew it, I felt this terrible smash into the side of my face. And uh, I immediately put my hand to my face, and the blood was just gushing out. Uh, what type of damage was caused by this pelican? And ended up with uh, 25 stitches in my face that went oh. completely through my cheek. Uh, where? Florida. Hey, that must have been us at the that same was time the just now. Time. All right, that's kind of freaky. So you're still in disbelief that she was attacked by a pelican. I have been down to that area since I was a little kid, and I've been swimming in the Gulf, and never, ever would I have dreamed that this would have happened to me. Okay. There's nothing we can add to that. I mean, there's really, uh, you wouldn't really think, I wouldn't think that a pelican could, could, could injure you, because don't they just have those big flappy bag things? Yeah. I mean, well, I guess they have beaks. You can bite your nose. Flappy bag thing. Isn't that the thing? The thing that they, it's like, uh, it's like, like their, a... Their gullet or whatever it is? I don't know what it's called. It's like a butterfly neck. Giblet thing? Yeah. It's not giblets. It's the uh, the it's other thing. thing. Yeah, the thing that they catch whatever with. Fish. All right. Well, okay. There's that one. Fish-eating bird. Yes. Uh, Jimmy Fallon will replace uh, Conan O'Brien as host chair on the network's late night show. At a news conference in New York today, Fallon said he is ready for this challenge. I've been doing stand-up again, which is... Uh, which is sad right now, but I'm working on my act. It'll be funny in maybe a couple of years. But uh, I'm going back out there, and it's, I miss I miss the audience. I miss the live audience. You know, there was something about Saturday Night Live that fueled me, and there's nothing like it. Uh, Jimmy says it is a difficult doing show in front of a live audience. Sometimes it won't be funny, and uh, that's what's great about live TV. You, you got to come back the next night and throw the same hard punches and try to knock the people out. I like Jimmy Fallon. I'm kind of I'm kind of rooting for that guy. You know, SNL. I really like him a lot. Too. He seems like a good guy. And he's legitimately, uh, you know, he's legitimately funny. But people from SNL do not have a good track record in terms of trying to do late night talk shows. Because uh, Dana Carvey had one that failed. Dennis Miller, I think, had two late night talk shows that didn't go anywhere. Uh, it seems like there was somebody else. Didn't Norm Macdonald try to roll one of those out at some point? I think he might have. So, you know, just uh, those things. Chevy Chase, that was another guy. Chevy Chase tried to do a late night talk show that was canceled, I think, after what? God, it was like six weeks or something? Oh, yeah. Some unbelievable, like, it really was like a blink if you missed it. Well, he's not a blink if you miss it. fellow anyway. He never has been. No, he's doing, well, no one. That's the other thing about Chevy Chase is that, talk about a guy that, as Ringo Starr would say, just won the pools. I mean, a guy liked by no one. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the great thing about watching one of those. Two, and Chevy Chase has been roasted twice, which either shows you. Which is either surprising or not, I guess, you know, depending on how one looks at the uh, the notion that he's generally kind of an ass. Uh, you watch those Chevy Chase roasts. That's what's so deeply satisfying about those. You know, he's just a, you know, he's a dick. Uh, and so uh, the idea that he got, uh, you know, that he got roasted twice is uh, is kind of gratifying in some way. So, all right, well, good luck to you, uh, Jimmy Fallon. Let's do one more here and we'll take a break. Uh-oh, tire slashers are on the loose in Longview. Police are looking for vandals in Longview accused of slashing tires on dozens of cars. They think they struck... Any time between late Friday night, early Saturday morning, most of the damage was done at an apartment complex where every car in one parking lot had its tires slashed. Over 120 were slashed in all. Dozens of vehicles were disabled. Damage estimate: twenty thousand dollars. That really is. Just, that's even a step below some some idiot uh, in like, like like robbing your car. I mean, as much as I always say that when when somebody smashes a window and grabs something out of your glove box or takes your radio, it's, it's just a violated feeling because they've gone to your private space, but also because you know that you're being beaten by some guy that's just just a moron. Tire slashing is one step even below that. 
uh, where it is like the lowest, lowest entry-level crime there could possibly be. By the way, this guy says, hey, that truthless rube sounding like a Texan is Laura Bush, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. That's not true. No, that, that isn't true. I don't believe... Unless they're trying to change your identity. I don't believe that was... Uh... I don't believe that was Laura Bush. I think that was just, I think it was uh, some salt-of-the-earth person that they found uh, wandering the street. All right. Uh, well, let's take a break. We'll come back more from Tim Riley. We'll do the uh, top five here uh, in this next half hour. Dry County Crooks coming up at uh, 2 o'clock and uh, so forth. Say there, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. It is Monday. Don't go anywhere. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. Coming up later on, we'll talk to uh, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. The Dry County Crooks will be in the studio uh, as well, doing some tunes off their new album. Rick, the last time I checked, Jenna Bush didn't want to get married at all. I seem to recall her own mother saying that this boyfriend, now husband, was, I'm quoting, not husband material. Of course, that was before everybody also started to comment about Jenna's obvious prego belly. That is true. All right. 503-733-2970. Uh, we'll also do the uh, top five here in just a skosh. News with Tim Riley. We're continuing also to count down. Richie Bristol, are you, uh, before you go, do me a favor. Um, a, can you um, make sure the uh, Dry County Crooks and also um, Peter Carlin, if we can talk to Peter Carlin about sometime uh, later in the 2 o'clock hour, that would be fantastic. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Uh, counting down to Rick Emerson, listener party 11, which happens three days from now. It happens this coming Thursday, May 15th, 8 p.m. at the Crystal Ballroom, featuring music by Nickel Arcade and Emerson Starship, uh, the Rick Emerson Roast, featuring Roastmaster Carl Click, and the world premiere of a brand-new short film starring our own Tim Riley. Tim Riley, what is the name of this fantastic film? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what makes you a sterling entertainer, Tim Riley. Ew, that was a huge snort. I'm sorry. I didn't really anticipate that answer. Uh, I got used to it. That's okay. Uh, so a the world premiere of a new short film starring Tim Riley, which will uh, be unveiled this Thursday, 8 p.m. at the Crystal Ballroom. No tickets, no cover, no charge, no nothing. Uh, just be 21. Bring your ID. No dress code. No whatever. Dress up. Dress down. And bring cash. Don't be don't be the ass that's like there with the debit card and like there are 15 people behind you and, wanting to get a drink. And also the other thing is if you're that guy at the bar. The guy that I'm behind at the bar who's like with the credit card, he's also not buying 15 uh, vodka sodas. He's also buying a soda. That's it. I'd like a Pepsi. Can I put that on plastic? And so then, you know, you got to wait while some dick gets a dollar seventy-five rung up on his visa. So don't be that person, please. Bring big wads of cash. Ladies and gentlemen at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Well, teens never tire of finding new ways to destroy their lives. It's true. A Wisconsin team has suffered severe burns in the blowtorch game. How can we all play? Well, he uh, has burns in, more, uh, in a quarter of his body. The boy and another team were using spray cans as blowtorches. Of course they were. The 14-year-old was burned on his back, head, face, arms, and hands. And shoulders, knees, and toes, Tim. He would have been better off being bitten by a pelican. The other team was not injured. Uh, the burned boy was uh, transferred to Milwaukee. Well, the, well, there's always that one 
kid. You know, everybody knows that one kid that's obsessed with fire growing up, which I do believe is one of the uh, the three indicators of serial killer type behavior. So uh, the other one's like bedwetting, and then there's some sort of a third one. But everybody, when you're growing up, knows the one guy who just cannot get enough of setting things on fire. And growing up, it was my friend Brian who would do that. Uh, you would just sort of, I mean, you would walk along and you know with him, and you would see him reaching to his pocket and idly just taking out like a Zippo lighter and just sort of... And you would go over to his house. What are you doing? Well, I'm going to be setting fire to some Aquanet later on. And, of course, it's Kennewick's. Everything is a desert. So he would just be sitting in his... You'd go over, and he would have all of his uh, like his G.I. Joe figures very carefully set up as though they were going to be, uh, like, you know, recreating the Battle of Anzio. And then he would have a huge thing of Aquanet and then just sort of... sort of lay waste of the whole thing. So, kids, don't play the blowtorch game. It's not good for you. A new Frank Sinatra stamp becomes available today. The United States Postal Service is paying tribute to the critter with its new postage stamp to be uh, unveiled at a special ceremony in Beverly Hills. On hand were Sinatra's children, Nancy, Tina, and Frank Jr. What does Frank Sinatra Jr. do now? Uh, I think he just kind of peddles the fact that he was once kidnapped and sounds oh, yeah. a lot like his dad. Wasn't he the one that was kidnapped? I have a guest star on an episode of Family Guy. That's about it. Frank Sinatra Jr.? Uh-huh. Uh, well, I mean, we've all got to make a living somehow. I mean... As I've always said, I think if you're a celebrity and you have a kid like that, you owe it to the kid to give them some alternate name that doesn't link them with you in any way. Uh, you know, if, they, if you want to give them the money, if they, if they want to inherit your property or your estate, that's fine. But sadly, if you're Frank Sinatra, saddling your kid with the name Frank Sinatra Jr. just ensures that no matter what, he would... You'll be a failure. I mean, well, that's a relative failure. I mean, it, he would he would literally have to cure cancer and alien life forms at this point. To not be overshadowed by his dad. Uh, it, that's the thing. So celebrities never learn this. Uh, see also Wolfgang Van Halen, by the way. All right. Uh, TV news today. NBC's Scrubs is moving to ABC. Some of their other programs, Eli Stone has been renewed for 13 episodes. Who watches that? That is the know. worst show I have ever seen. What? Eli Stone, it, it used to be on after, I don't know if it still is on after loss. I don't think I've ever seen Eli Stone, sir. October Road is canceled. And my, October Road seems like a terrible program. I yeah, saw one good. episode of that, just enough to realize that I never needed to watch any further episodes, because even, even if the show miraculously became good somehow, which it clearly did not, and it wouldn't be around, therefore it wouldn't matter. Life on Mars received an order for 13 additional episodes. That's ABC. On CBS, the comedy Single White Millionaire has been killed. I, I don't know any of these shows. I've never heard of them. I think I'm really out of touch. Uh, the comedy Worst Week has been picked up. Anybody hear of that? Sarah? No. Worst Week? No. Uh, let's see. A, a comedy pilot has been picked up the series and stars Jay Moore. It's called Project Gary. You know, I, the thing is, I love Jay Moore, but he picks he picks kind of bad projects sometimes. Mm. Uh, I know that a lot of people were in that last comic standing. Uh, I, however, was not. I will say the thing about Jay Moore is he did... I'll always love him for two things. A, he did the series Action, which is one of the best, most fully realized sitcoms ever. You watched Action. I lent that to you on DVD. Oh, yeah. Where he's Peter Dragon, the Hollywood producer. That Tim, have you seen great, the series Action? No. Oh, man, you got to watch that. It's fantastic. It's... It is, I have it, a short attention span. No, well, then it's only you'll be happy because it only ran for one season. Then oh, they canceled it. It was a it was a it was a thirty minute sitcom. That God, was, that Jay Moore is so smarmy in that. Too. It was, he was he plays a studio executive who's trying to come back with a big hit. Oh, uh, and it's it, the entire it's a great man. I got to tell you, Action is one of the best TV series ever made. 
And, of course, so it was canceled after one season. It was Have a... you ever seen that, that movie, For Your Consideration? I watched it over the weekend. No. It was hilarious. No. It's about uh, these people trying to make this little indie flick, and someone uh, starts a rumor on the Internet that one of them is about to be nominated to win an Academy Award, and it isn't true. It's uh, hilarious. Fantastic. I, uh, I love movie. Well, I was watching The Player the other day. Uh, the Tim Robbins film, which is just still as good now as it was then. You, I mean, I love movies that are sort of, you know, that, that sort of take place within the Hollywood system like that. Action is especially great because, first of all, it's a, it's a sitcom, so you can watch it in 30-minute chunks or 22-minute chunks or whatever. It's only 13 episodes, and then the, the show canceled it. But it has this great gimmick, and it's out on DVD. You can get it on DVD, perhaps at CD Game Exchange. The gimmick of the show, Action, is that Jay Moore is the head of the studio, and he's had several flops in a row. And so he is trying to keep his job by having a huge blockbuster hit. And so the entire season is one long story arc, basically, of him trying to finish and complete and release one film. And it's just that every single thing that could go wrong goes wrong. Problems with the writer, problems with the director. His actress puts on 100 pounds. Uh, I mean, it really is a phenomenal show. And as they say, just too good for television because they because they canceled it after 13 episodes. So if you get a chance to pick it up, uh, please do. It's called uh, Action on DVD. It does need your love. And he wrote a book called Gasping for Airtime, uh, which is uh, a, really one of the only truly inside books about SNL that's ever been written. So here's Tim Riley. Uh, the HBO is expected to start selling its shows on Apple iTunes with flexible pricing. Episodes of some shows are likely to be sold at more than the standard price of $1.99, marking the first time Apple has agreed to sell uh, content at different prices in the United States. Although some global iTunes stores, including Japan, already sell songs at different prices, Apple has resisted offering uh, music or television shows at different prices for the sake of simplicity for its customers. So uh, that's all we know so far. Oh, was, was for your consideration a Christopher Guest thing? Isn't it like one of his mockumentaries? Yes. Okay, see, yeah. uh, why didn't, I guess I didn't see that. It was, it was on HBO. All right. For your consideration, note to self, for your consideration. All right, I will watch that. All right, let's do like two more here, and then we'll roll the uh, top five. Here's something about the Richie's people. A Japanese man in Norway lost about $35,000 after he was led to believe that mixing cash with a special liquid would double its value. <laughs> The uh, 32-year-old Frenchman is set to stand trial in a lower court at Oslo next week on charges that he cheated a, a simple Vietnamese man out of, uh, let's see here, 23,000 euros earlier this year. Uh, the victim of the con, who was not identified, was reportedly told by the Frenchman to leave a mixture of real cash with blank bills to marinate in a special liquid overnight, and the next morning he would... Doubled the amount of cash at his disposal. Well done. Fantastic. Well, when he showed up the next morning to collect the prize, both the cash and the suspected con artist, the Frenchman, uh, his name has not been released, had disappeared. Um, let's see. All right, let's do one more as I'm getting the top five ready. So I got all of this email in front of me. The people are emailing about the asking more questions about the listener party. Have we, uh, we have, have you got the listener roast? You are sorting through the listener roasts. You've read them? Yeah, we're trying to find a clever way as to, you know, to read them so it's not just like some big run-on list, you know, of like, you know, there, but some they're hilarious. All right. Apparently, all the roasts have been uh, submitted. They're being uh, sort of organized and collated and whatever, bound up or something. And then what happens? And then, uh, well, and then, and then, and then hopefully, and then hopefully nobody is hit by a car on the way to the event. Hopefully everybody, hopefully all the roasters show up and actually are able to do it. And then I've got mine. I got mine submitted uh, because you know how it is at the roast. Or it's, you know, I sit there and everybody kind of comes up and. 
you know, takes further pieces of my neurotic self-image away. So and, are you sitting a little desk in the corner and, and people are standing above you on the podium? Oh, uh, well, there's going to be, yeah, like there's going to be a sort of a, a chair, like not like a lazy boy chair, but I mean like a, you know, like a whatever, like a like a, an easy chair type thing, I think. Uh, and then there's a podium and then there's the dais, you know, some tables. Um, and the roasters will all be sitting at the tables and then they'll go up to the podium, I think, one at a time. But then, of course, because it's a roast, then i got to kind of back clean up. So once everybody is done... Then I gotta go up and do my own kind of roast thing at the end. So it'll be, uh, it's gonna be interesting. Did you roast yourself? No. No, I do that every day here, Tim. Oh, that is true. Alright, let's do one more and then we'll roll today's top five. Three Japanese men have been found dead in a car in what police uh, suspect is the latest string of suicides using lethal gas made out of household detergent. The three in their 20s and 30s were found by a passerby in the northern part of Tokyo. Uh, they found battles of bath and toilet detergent in the car, adding that police suspect the trio committed suicide by inhaling the stuff made of cleaning chemicals, a method reportedly claiming more than 50 lives in Japan. Apparently, it's the latest thing. Well, even in death, they are tidy. Uh, Japanese have launched a crackdown on popular Internet sites that give instructions on how to commit suicide using household detergent. <laughs> the, the government says 32,155 people have killed themselves in Japan <laughs> in the past year using detergent. The government has earmarked $220 million for anti-suicide programs. 32,000 people? Mm-hmm. Can well, you, it's a cheap way to go. Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know how many suicides happen in America every year because our stupid media won't record it, report it, because they're, they're fifties. Well, but there's I, nobody working there anymore. I suppose, but I mean, thirty-two thousand people. Japan isn't a very is Japan a populous country? Yes, it is. Is it? How many people are in Japan? Do we know? Oh, at least a hundred million, if not more. All right. Uh, so, but I mean, that's that's still a lot. Thirty-two, especially with just that's not even counting other methods. That's just that's just with detergent. Mm-hmm. Well. That's an industrious culture, I suppose. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let us roll your top five. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. Counting is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Tim Riley with your top five for Monday on the Rick Emerson Show. And as we explore the trials and the travails of Richie Bristol's social life, we examine the musical documentation of The Crossdresser. From all walks of the artistic life, this particular social phenomenon has been relentlessly explored. Join us now as we count down these, the top five songs about transvestites. These are the top five songs about transvestites here on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. This, uh, this is dedicated to Richie Bristol. Honorable mention goes to David Bowie with Rebel Rebel. This is a great song. I'm not like a huge uh, David Bowie fan, but this is really, really a great song. He sang this on stage here a couple of years ago. I remember. This, I do believe, I don't know a whole lot about this song, but I'm pretty sure that this song is about, I think this is about a, a kid who is sort of trying to shock his parents by, by dressing as a woman. I think that's the deal. That you got your mother in a world, she's not sure if you're a boy or a girl.
fantastic. Why, David Bowie is so cool. Hey, you know, can I ask you a question about this? Uh, you know, there's this new James Bond film coming out. And Amy Winehouse was supposed to do the James Bond song. And that's not really going to be possible. It seems like she's otherwise occupied. Don't you think it's time for David Bowie to do a James Bond theme? Yes, yes. Because, you know, there's, there's the James Bond theme, which is that dun 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 But then there's always the song, like You Only Live Twice or Diamonds Are Forever or whatever. I think David Bowie ought to do the David, uh, the, uh, the James Bond theme, you know, the, uh, the James Bond the movie theme. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley's We Count Down the Top Five. Number five, Royal Orleans by Led Zeppelin. Off the album Presents. Now, if I know the story correctly, this is about John Paul Jones, who was the bass player for Led Zeppelin, how they were in New Orleans at some sort of a bar. John Paul Jones, this is the story, the, the version I always heard, it, where John Paul Jones was really drunk, they're at some bar, he's making out with somebody that, shades of Richie Bristol, he thinks is a woman, at the end of the night he realizes that it's a drag bar and he's been making out with a guy all night. So... I don't care if it's true or not. That's the version of the story I'm going to, true, I'm going to, you know, choose to believe. And then there's that line, when you take your pick, be careful how you choose it, which I do believe is about him mistaking a man for a woman in his bar. One of the great lost Zeppelin songs. Counting down the top five cross-dressing songs of all time. Tim Riley. Number four, A Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed. I'll take sampled 9,000 times for that. I remember Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Oh, that's right. You know what I never noticed until just now? I've heard this song... Let me just stop before we before we proceed with this. Let me just say that as somebody who has played this song nine million times, you know what I never realized until this moment is how he's ripping himself off there uh, because it sounds so much like Sweet Jane. It sounds, especially the Cowboy Junkies version of Sweet Jane, but it sounds so much like Sweet Jane, which was his you know big hit with the Velvet Underground. Great song, though. I don't think they play this anymore. I think this song is not played on classic rock, classic rock radio because it's got um, some objectionable content. I heard it on um, the radio the other day. Really? That surprises me. I wonder if it was it um, was it uh, was it edited? Yeah. Yeah, because there's multiple things in the song that I don't know that you can get away with saying anymore. Take a walk on the wild side. All right, counting down the top five cross-dressing songs of all time. Number three, Lola by the Kinks. Of course. I met her in the club down in Otoho. Why you drink champagne in the city just like cherry cola? Well, this is a great song. She walked up to me and she asked me to dance. I 
This may be one of the earliest cross-dressing songs. I mean, at least in rock music. And it does have that great little... Not dumb, but I can't understand. But it has that great line at the end that's written so you can sort of take it either way where he says, um, says uh, I'm not the world's most passionate man, but I know what I am, and I'm glad I'm a man, and so is Lola. And so you're kind of unclear about whether he is also a cross-dresser. Counting down the top five songs about a cross-dresser. Number two, Dude Looks Like a Lady. Hey, this is the video version, is it not? Yeah. Off the uh, permanent vacation album. Now, I got some preemptive emails about this from people telling me that this was not really a cross dresser uh, that he's singing about, about here. Yeah, I think it's about a guy who looks like a woman. Really? But it's still a good song. I guess it like. was the era for that. I used to get that every now and again when I would be, especially if I was in my car and I had the really long hair. And I used to, you know, because I was fixated on Led Zeppelin and Robert Plant and all that. And so I would wear all of those bracelets. And I would just have the long hair and, well, you know, like the big silk, you know, the big retarded oh, shirt. Yes, and I then remember. all of these bracelets. And I, I used to, every now and again, I would be in the car and I would have my hands sort of dangling like it was during the summer. Uh, my hands sort of hanging out the car window and my long hair. And I would get guys who would sort of pull up in the next lane, and they would look over like, hey. And then I'd look over like, hey, how you, how you doing? And they would only sort of see my arm and my hair, and I think that they would think it was like some trashy girl. And then it was me. She had the body of a Venus, but imagine my surprise. See, I don't even know what he's singing there. God, what a great song, though. Counting on the top five transvestite songs of all time. At number one for the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Sweet Transvestite. I'm not much of a man, but a lot of day. But by night I'm one hell of a lover. I've got the sweet transvestite. Doesn't get much better than this. From transsexual Go ahead, say how hot Tim Curry is. Oh, you know that I know that he's hot. Let me show you a rhyme. I just rewatched this again for the first time a few weeks ago. It's such a great movie. It really is. It's just so weird. Nobody makes anything that crazy. This is a movie that could, I mean, I, I won't say that it couldn't be made now, probably could be made now, but there was a long period of time where you looked at this movie and you're like, no one would ever green light, you know. Could we use your phone? We're both in a bit of a hurry. Yeah. We'll just say where we are, then go back to the car. We don't want to be any 
After this, with the Dry County Crook, stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503 733 2970. 503 733-2970. Coming up here in a few minutes, we'll talk to Peter Carlin from The Oregonian, one of our roasters for Thursday night's listener party. Emerson's 11 happening Thursday, May 15th, 8 p.m. That is this Thursday, 8 p.m. at the Crystal Ballroom. Uh, no cover, no charge, no tickets, no nothing. Just be 21, bring your ID. Uh, the Rick Emerson roast happening with Roastmaster Carl Click. Roasters to include Sarah X. Dillon, Storm Large, Court and Fatboy, Scott Daly, Aaron Duran, Peter Carlin, Byron, back and more. Um, we'll also have music from Nickel Arcade, Emerson Starship, the premiere of a brand new short film starring Tim Riley, and more excitement than one can shake a bundle of sticks at. So that's coming up this Thursday, May 15th, 8 p.m. Dress up, dress down, or dress in between, your choice, and be there. All right, speaking of musicality, we want to welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, uh, one of our favorite bands, our good friends in the Dry County Crooks. Hello there. Hello. How did... <laughs> that was like a full-on Beatles thing you just did right there. <laughs> all right, um, so we've been, I mean, blah, 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 big fans of you guys for a long time. And I've got all your records. and whatever. You guys have been around. How long have you guys been playing together as a band? Uh, well, this current lineup, it's been uh, uh, two or three years, but uh, Paulie and I and the Dry County Crooks have been around for about seven. So the current lineup, uh, Johnny, Cheo, Paul, Vinny, and this is your third, well, I guess the fourth. You had an EP that came out at one point, or the live the live album, and then you had the third studio record? This, that's correct. All right. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about the uh, tell me about your new record. Uh, well, it's a uh, it's a CD called uh, When Hearts Break, and uh, it's our third studio uh, CD, and uh, it's a good mix of uh, old school country, rock and roll, punk, rockabilly. And we a lot of you uh, people I think discovered you guys uh, with One That Got Away, and then Wrong Side of the Tracks, which came out a couple years ago. You guys in the new record, which comes out next Tuesday. Not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow. Yes. Well, that's kind of the thing. The street release has become. Uh, sorry. Is this me? Yeah, go ahead. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, the street release has been backed up. Uh, we kind of uh, came into the, our new label deal a little prematurely as far as setting stuff up. So CDs are only going to be available online until June. Okay. Uh, so, and that's at mustonmusic.com. That's our label. What is it? Mustang um, Music? Uh, Muston Music. Oh, Muston. M-A-S-T-A-N uh, music.com. Mustmastermusic.com. All right, I'll put a, a link up to that. And then you guys have got the, the release party happening this Saturday at Dante's, correct? That is, that is correct, this Excellent. Saturday. And if anybody, if you haven't seen the Dry County Crooks, you, you really, you really ought to. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty, it's pretty fantastic. And they've played a couple listener parties actually. Uh, yeah, actually, one, listener party two. three. No, oh, the one at, at Billy, Billy Reed's, Reed's and, then, yeah. and then the one the one at Barracuda with Storm, Storm, no, and the balls did half and you guys did half, which was which was great. And um, in the new CD uh, of which I have an advanced copy, there is the, you, there's the coolest. You say the coolest thing in the liner notes. Um, you have some. The bands have a long tradition of doing like thanks to, thanks to, thanks to, and a big f off to. 
Uh, but you guys have kind of one of you at the end. You said, like, no thanks to people who misrepresent country music or words to that effect. Um, it was something about something about that. Yeah, that's. I guess that's just my shout-out or our shout-out to, like, um, maybe apathetic media and uh, people that kind of grossly misrepresent old-school country music. And, yeah, country uh, ain't what it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, so... So without further ado, uh, what are we uh, what are we gonna do here? We'll have a uh, song, and then we'll talk to Peter, and then we'll do another one around the corner. What do you want to start with? Uh, we're gonna do a song called "Runaway Train." All right, "Runaway Train," ladies and gentlemen, live in studio, the Dry County Crooks.
Gentlemen, the Dry County Crooks. Fantastic, wonderful, excellent, Thank genius. You. I will be in tune for the next one. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you sounded good. No, no. If you, you know, with no one else, if no one notices flaws, don't point them at yourself. I never do. Uh, all right, excellent. Uh, we'll have more from the Dry County Crooks here in just a few. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, Oregonian TV critic and general curmudgeon about town, our good friend Peter Carlin. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you, my friend? How's okay, life? How are you? I am. Uh, I am dandy. Are you excited for the big shindig on Thursday? Thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> you that's, sound like you mean that, Peter. That's really your sincerity rings through, even though this, even through this telephonic connection. What were you? Uh, were you hoping for? Uh, what were you hoping for? I was hoping for you to. Uh, I don't know. Muster up something approaching an actual human emotion just now, but that's okay. Tears. That's okay. No, no, no. I'm going to scale down my expectations. Don't you worry about it. I'm. I'm excited. I'm. 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 I'm eager to get going. <laughs> what I wrote. You... I wrote a whole presentation. What do you sound like when you're not excited? Um, what, what do you want from me? <laughs> this is all about you. I that is true. This. No, I'm, I appreciate that. I appreciate that observation. You have, like, personal problems, and you keep trying to work them out with me. But let me tell you what, He Mr. totally does. He projects all the time. It's not only that. It's like, it's like he's got this big hole inside of him, Sarah Dillon, and he wants me to fill it up with, like, enthusiasm. But I'm... you know what, mister? It's never going to be full. Not if you keep going about it that way. Are you going to bitch slap him with your words on Thursday? I was just going to say, is it with Thursday? truth. Is it, is it Thursday already? Um, more than anything, Peter Carlin, I want you to fill the hole more than I can possibly convey. <laughs> no, it's as I'm the emotional hole. Sure, your emotional hole. Peter, you're, just, you're. Did you even realize? I mean, I was thinking that you were deliberately leaning on the double entendre there, but let's just move right by it. Other than that, how's uh, how's there goes the theme song again. And it's, thanks very much. <laughs> thanks so much, Russ. Thanks for coming by. Right. <laughs> uh, so, I actually, we thought of you earlier. We were just reading off a list of all of the show cancellations uh, that have just happened. Oh, what just happened? Well, I, Tim had said the only one that really left off the page. I mean, well, first of all, there's two things. Do you? Um, there's two explanations for this. One is that I'm just old and mentally enfeebled and out of touch. Mm. Uh, or the other is that television is becoming. First of all, there's so many channels and. Not only that, but everything is such a niche channel, and there's such niche programming now that you don't really have to watch anything that you're not really, really interested in. In other words, if I just want to sit at home and watch nothing but Mythbusters and Survivor Man reruns, you know, I can do that. Um, so I'm not really uh, passively forced into watching shows in which I have only a middling interest the way that I would have 20 years ago. So they've canceled all these shows, like half of which I didn't even know were on the air, like I'd never heard of them. Um, but the one that left off was October Road. Uh, which oh, I'm... that show sucked the whole time. I was I was dismayed when they renewed it the first time. 
And so they, because you had said, I remember when it first came out of the gate, you were saying it was like a terrible program. It was a terrible program. It was terrible every minute of the, uh, that it was on. And it was the only thing that was halfway interesting about it was every so often I think they would roll out a, a decent, like, alt-rock song that you wouldn't hear on another show. Now, is October Road, that wasn't the one from, um, uh, what's this guy? Kevin Williamson, the guy that did the... Uh... Oh, who cares? If it was, then he should be ashamed. <laughs> but it was less... Who's Kevin Williamson? He's the guy that did Dawson's Creek, and then what was the follow-up oh, to I Dawson's think it Creek? Oh, was him. It was him. Yeah. What was the follow-up he did to Dawson's Creek? That wasn't undeclared. That was Judd Apatow. Yeah. Um. God. Uh. Tw- twenty. Twenty-five something. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm making stuff up now. Yeah. Kevin Williamson did some awful, where he's been taking basically the Dawson's Creek formula and aging it. You know, like a- as that generation gets older, he creates a- another version of Dawson's Creek. But he had some college version basically, of Dawson's Creek. It was horrifyingly bad, and it was so detached from reality in a way that wasn't even cute. Like, the way, the thing that just, like, made me want to hurl in the pilot, I think, was when the kid, the guy, the sort of, like, the novelist, the one-time novelist who had, like, one marginally literate bestseller, that was the main character, in the very first episode. I mean, he has no training. He has no academic training. I don't even, I mean, he might have gone to college himself. I don't know if he graduated. Maybe he did. But let me tell you this. If you want to get on faculty at a major university, at any accredited university, you have to have a whole whole, whole litany of credentials, and you have to have suffered, and, and then probably they'll put you on adjunct faculty and pay you minimum wage or less for the pleasure of teaching Dickens to bored 18-year-olds. This kid, however, manages to land this plum, like probably tenure-track position at this university just through, just through chutzpah alone. Literally singing to the, the of course through the window to the, it's to the, the meat, woman who like like the the, the faculty. It's the meat cute of the academic world. Yeah, exactly. And it yeah. was sort of like you know what? Respect me, please. You know, I mean, it's like <laughs> respect your audience. Nobody, you know, a lot of people go to college, not just TV writers, and so a lot of people know that that's not how. You know, I mean, if you could come up with a cute way for a guy or write. You know, spend half a page and write a page that explains why this guy actually can get a faculty position. But this wasn't it, and it wasn't cute, and it was annoying. And so so the show was loathed and ultimately canceled. <laughs> do you find, let me ask you this, do you find that the expansion of channels and the number of hours to fill, I mean, maybe I'm answering my own question, but I was going to ask you, that makes it easier for bad shows to stay on the air than it would have been 15 years ago? Well, if there's more space to fill, then I think, just by definition, more shows will be required to fill that space, and therefore the bar of quality lowers significantly. Or, or, or at least, uh, though ironically, I think it also allows for better shows that wouldn't have stayed on the air, gotten a chance on the air to, to get on just because of the niche programming and stuff. I will tell you that I think about stuff like that every time I read some story about the Hills or Gossip Girl. Uh-huh. and. Uh, it would, dude, you're singing my song, but I walk through I walk through the living room at home occasionally. My wife is watching uh, one of those shows. And my wife, I think it was Gossip Girl that Lara had this weird, she was sort of doing this moment of self-analysis about the fact that she watches Gossip Girl. And she couldn't quite figure out if it was a show for teenagers that she was sort of voyeuristically enjoying or if it was really a show for adults, but they were trying to sex it up by making the cast members lar- you know, primarily teen-aged. Well, it's also possible to do a sophisticated show about teenagers. I mean, look at uh, Friday Night Lights. Right. I'm not sure that Gossip Girl is it. I mean, it's somewhere in the middle there. I, I, you know what, though? To be honest, I can't... I, you know, well, There's a show that, like, for instance, compared to October Road, Gossip Girl is like literature. 
You know, <laughs> I mean, from what I saw, I mean, it was cheap and sleazy and stuff, but at least it was sort of interesting and it, and it, and it had some respect for its milieu. And, and you had the sense that the people who wrote it actually understood what they were writing about. And I didn't really get that impression with October Road. Hey, what do you make of the, uh, of the, of the Jimmy Kimmel, Conan O'Brien, Jay Leno musical chairs thing? Jimmy, well... No, uh, not Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon. Oh, yeah, you know, um, he may go down in a big way. I, I'm, not so, I'm not so convinced that he's the right guy for that job because he's so predictable in a weird way, you know? And I don't know whether he's got the listening skills or the like the intellectual interest in other humans to function in that chair and that's a really 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 difficult gig to have and i could be absolutely wrong about it but i think the best talk show hosts are guys that you don't see coming conan o'brien for instance conan o'brien who or 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 craig ferguson craig ferguson is great conan o'brien's great but the thing about that uh, about you saying that jimmy fallon didn't really interact well with people that is i was going to make the glib joke about how they never stopped jay leno but that was always jay leno's that was one of his big, you know, that was his Achilles heel, the fact that he just, he never really seemed to be able to engage with his guests on any real level the way that Letterman did. Yeah, yeah, but he's funny, so that makes up for a lot. I don't know whether Fallon's got those kinds of stand-up skills. Maybe he does, I don't know. Whenever I've seen him on SNL, first of all, his, his years on SNL kind of coincided with one of their many dry eras, and um, so that was difficult. I remember a lot of buzz about him when he first got going there in the late 90s, but just... I just saw him and I thought, that's it, you know, like that's what we're talking about. Well, and there's a long track record of SNL people trying late night talk shows and just failing abysmally for, you know, either creatively or just commercially. Ooh, I, you can't be talking about Chevy Chase, could you? Well, I was going to say Chevy Chase. I was also going to say Dana Carvey. Uh, I was also going to say that I think Dennis Miller has had two late night talk oh, shows that, that didn't work. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's not really like that's just an endless fountain from which late night talent has sprung. Yeah. Uh, in any event, uh, and I, this is now the time in the program when you and Sarah share brief observations and thoughts and postulations about Lost, uh, which we didn't get a chance to talk about on Friday, which I don't watch. So, Sarah, Lost. I don't know. It's already, I already have so many things in my brain since then. Peter? Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm loving Lost. I thought that was a terrific episode. I'm writing a whole big story for Wednesday's editions of the Oregonian newspaper about, uh, like, all the weird literary and... Uh, and cultural references that are buried sort of subtly in the plot and the character names and all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm very much looking forward to reading it. When's that going to be out? Mm, Wednesday, I think. Oh, super cool. Wednesday, the night before Rick Emerson Listener Party 11, at which you, Peter Carlin, will be a featured roaster. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I'm nervous about the whole deal, though. Do I get a drink for free? Tell me yes. Uh, I better be, I'm losing man. your... Well, I'm sorry. But, uh, I woke up and I want to know... What? Peter, when I'm peddling for drinks, I'll make sure that I get one, them for you. Well, as yeah, well. I was going to say, put it this way. Sarah usually gets more drinks uh, purchased for her than even she can consume. Uh, so she you're would have to get like no. a... She, no, no one's, uh, you're not... You're not you mean you're, you're <laughs> Mr. Program Director? I know. Dude. Come on, Rick. I'm not the Program Director. You I'm asked him to crystal. sit there and write like a five to seven minute speech about you, and you can't even give the man free drinks? All right. Dude, I woke up. You want to know how many hours I spent working on that thing on Saturday morning before the sun came up? I'm not kidding. I woke up really early on How many total hours? I want to know right now. Now, how many total hours have you spent working on your roast? Probably an embarrassing number, like maybe three or two or somewhere in there. I sat down. I was, like, doing Internet research. As many as two working. hours of work you did. How, what, what? <laughs> like three hours. What do you do, Rick? You have all these people to go out of their way to talk about you the entire time. Yes, and you're giving him a hard time. All right. Time. What is your drink of choice, Peter Carlin? 
whatever you got. No, Peter, what do you want? Oh, so no, I can, no, no that's fine. I'll, ex- I'll accept that answer, the whatever you got. What I got is some vodka that I bought at the liquor store for $4 because it's from the Mount Hood Vodka HRD? Company. Yeah. yeah. Um, would you, what, is, no, what, is, what is your preferred drink, Peter? Uh, probably in that context, uh, I would be drinking big, tall, frosty beers. All right. Beer. But not too many because I'm going to have to drive home. Of course. And get up the next morning. And uh, be a responsible and respectable member of society. And, like, speak on cue. All right. But those dudes, I was getting emails. I can't figure it out. Like, first of all, though, we have to give it up for your uh, your staff, the people, your your roast staff, who appear to be completely different from your radio staff. Yeah. No, we have uh, we have some some other folks, our friends uh, Todd and Joni, who are helping as script supervisors for this. Yes. Yes. Script supervisors. Well, because I can't be because I can't do it myself. Obviously, no, I can't. No, but see, here's the thing. It's like I do this. I've done like on three or three occasions this Portland Schools Foundation roast which you might not have heard of, but it's a huge deal. It's like a thousand of the most powerful and rich people in Portland, from congressmen and senators on down, and and I've performed on that. And never once has anyone asked to see my stuff before I've gone on that stage. <laughs> Only asking to see your stuff because I know no, that they I... wanted they wanted to like edit it. They had like, they had no. They want to see if there's any overlap. So if you're like making the same joke as somebody else, then it won't sound but doesn't that become my problem? Well, I oh trust God. me, no one's going to be making jokes that I make. Because my because you're Peter Carlin. Nobody would say these things. No, because there's, there's nobody else associated with the program that's ever angry or, or mean or has any sort of axe to grind against me in any way. Yeah. You're the only one who dislikes me at all. <laughs> Thanks for not disagreeing, by the way. Thanks who for bitterly dis- resents, who uh. bitterly resents every, every aspect of my relationship with you, up, up to and including the fact that you expect me to fill the whole, the, your, your emotional neediness. Thank you for, thank you for making the, thank you for making the callback because oh, I was I about to go to the filling the hole jokes. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's fixing a hole for the benefit of Mr. Emerson, kids. He's Peter Carlin. All right, my friend. Well, we'll read it in Wednesday and we'll see you Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. What time again? Tell me. Tell the kids. Tell, tell the kids again when to show up. Be there. Doors at seven. Please be there at seven. I have to be there at seven. It would what be time. N- does the actual roasting begin? Eight. Eight o'clock. Yes. But you, okay. But am I required to show up at seven? Oh my God! Do I have to send a car for you? Would you like a rub down? That would be cool. Do you want a car, Peter? I'm sure we could. I that. actually, I could drive myself. But if there were a rub down, I could do that. <laughs> Get me a. But anyway, no, this is all going in a bad direction. All right, thanks very much. Bye now. See you on Thursday. There you go. Jesus, God. I just never know what's going to come out of that guy. There's uh, Peter Carlin, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Uh, here's what we got to do between now and the top of the hour. we got uh, Tim Riley. And uh, should we have uh, the Crooks plays into the break or even on the other side? Why don't we come back with them? All right. We'll come back. More from the Dry County Crooks, uh, whose uh, CD release party is this Saturday at Dante's. Uh, the new CD is When Hearts Break. Comes out that was online as of Tuesday? Uh, yeah. It's, right. it's actually for sale online now. Okay. And then the, the actual physical release in June. So we'll talk more about that when we get back. If you're on hold, uh, stay there. We'll get more of your calls on the way. Like is the three. Michael Mara Show at seven. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. <laughs> the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970.
733-2970. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, your personal savior. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Mom and pop gas stations are running into the problem as gas reaches $4 a gallon. You see, thousands of those old-fashioned gas pumps can't register more than three ninety-nine on their spinning mechanical dial. One of those is Chip Corville's gas station over in Raritan, Washington. Uh, some of the pumps can count only up to $99.99 with the total price, preventing owners of SUVs, vans, trucks, and tractor trailers to fill up their tanks all the way. And it costs a lot of money to retrofit these pumps from $10,000 to $15,000 apiece. That's a lot of money for these new failed contraptions in some of these small towns. Dallas police met a Southwest Airlines plane at Love Field in Dallas today after plane staff reported that a passenger refused to get off his cell phone. Under arrest is Joe David Jones. Apparently, flight attendants asked Mr. Jones to turn off his cell phone, and the flight he replied with, Kiss my you-know-what. <laughs> Excellent. Good when asked him. again, he repeated, Kiss my you-know-what. Not happening. He could be fined up to $25,000. Yeah, but, you know, if I had the money, I would just... Did you see... Have you seen that video of the... Uh, somebody sent it to me this weekend. The video of the guy, he's in Texas, mm-hmm. like 50 miles from the border. In other words, not like right on the border. But he's 50 miles from the border driving on some road in Texas. And I guess he must have known the roadblock was there or the, the stop and, you know, the checkpoint because he took a camera with him, a video camera. But it's where the uh, immigration department is doing these clearly like illegal roadblocks where they stop you and they say, are you a citizen? Which I don't think they can do. Uh, I think that they have perhaps a probable cause for that. So he just, he drives up with a video camera. He goes to the checkpoint, he stops. The woman comes up and, like, makes him roll in the window. And he j- he says, uh, hello, officer, am I being detained? And she starts in with the, are you a legal citizen of this country? And he won't answer. He just keeps the camera on her and he just keeps saying, am I being detained? You know, Am I free to go? And you can tell from the expression of her face, it's one of those, like, no one has ever actually just asked her. Like, she's used to people just kind of rolling over. For, and it's a really incredible, like, but awkward two and a half minutes of her repeatedly asking him whether he's a citizen. citizen. And him just saying, am I free to go? Am I being detained? And it goes on and on. And, it's like, you just wait for the what club was the, to come out. What was the ultimate outcome? At the, the, at the ultimate outcome, she just kind of, she sort of slumped kind of imperceptibly. She goes, you're not being detained. You're free to go. And he's like, thank you. And she, like, drove right down. It's so satisfying. You watch it. You just kind of do so like is that a, the, Is it the deal with any kind of roadblock? Or is it just, like, I think that they have to have probable cause to stop you unless, again, unless they, I'm not a lawyer. But I do believe that unless... They have probable cause, such as you are. Uh, they have reason to believe that you have faulty, you know, registration. You're, you don't have your papers in whatever to, in whatever way. If you are driving, if you're driving recklessly, if you seem to be driving, endangering others, or if there is a, a criminal in the area and they're doing some sort of a dragnet to try to stop everybody, I think sans probable cause, I don't think they can stop you. And if they stop you, you have to you say, "Am I being detained?" And if they can't, if they don't tell you you're being detained, you can go. And the great thing is, she like she just keeps repeating it. You can tell that like they have they have no contingency plan for somebody saying like I have rights, and so it's it's so awkward. But then at the end, she just lets him go, and it's uh, it's pretty great. I'll send you the link. So Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Back at four, five, six, and seven, top of the hour, all the way through. Like us. Uh, let's do one quick call, then we'll have another one for the Dry County Crooks. Hello, sir, or madam, as the case may be. Hello. Hello, it's you. It's me. Hi. I was actually not calling for the Drake County Crooks. Well, I'm I, here. I'm here too. So, I know. I fortunately, actually, um, I'm calling to ask you a favor. Okay. I Do you want to... free drinks at the party too? No, actually, I want a date for the party. Are you th- Are you the woman who emailed us wanting a date? 
I am. All right. Um, well, here's the, can I put you on hold? And, Sarah, do you think maybe get her number? We'll do, talk to her tomorrow? Yeah. Because we're kind of out of time. Uh, can I put you on hold and Richie Bristol can get your number? We'll talk about this tomorrow. We can. All right, excellent. Richie Bristol, will you please talk to the woman on line two who wants a date for the party? And actually, please I had a don't... guy who wrote me and who was looking for a date, and he was inquiring about the girls. That, and then I've seen more than, I've seen about three or four Craigslist ads now from people, no way. all guys, uh, who, are, but who are going to the party who want dates. Uh, so, anyway, so we'll talk about that tomorrow. I haven't posted mine yet. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the Dry County Crooks are here. Um, what are we going to hear now? Uh, this one is called Nothing to Lose. And is this off the uh, the new CD, When Hearts Break? It's, it is indeed. All right, ladies and gentlemen, once again, the Dry County Crooks on the Rick Emerson Show. One, two, three, four. County Crooks, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, all right. So um, when is your, when's your next show? When are you guys playing? 
Uh, Anyone? So I, that's actually good. So Saturday, are you doing? Is it a full show or is it the? Yeah, it's a full show. Uh, Drunken Prayer is opening the show. Uh, Mike D and the Loyal Bastards are playing Excellent. second. Awesome. And great, great we're playing third. Very yeah. Cool. What a lineup indeed. Uh, what so, time does everything start? Uh, 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. 
understand. And I should clarify, by the way, lest ye think that we are taking pot shots at him. All of those things that we're listing right now are the reasons that we love him. Mm-hmm. He fits in perfectly. Because you hear, I, I mean, if you hear Peter Carlin interviewed elsewhere, he's just so polite and courteous and just and varnished. I think is the is the word for that. Um, not you know here you really do get the real Peter Carlin. Uh, anyway, he ends it by saying Peter Carlin probably has I'm kind of a big deal tattooed on his chest. All right. Uh, let's do this. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. What's up? Oh, nothing. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing <laughs> it with thanks for sharing it with us, sir. How can we help you? Well, you know those bulbs you were talking about earlier? The creepy light bulbs, yes. I think they were called Reveal. Uh, is that the brand name? Well, it's the name of the bulb that you're talking about. It looks like uh, I'm in Fred Meyer and I can see the what you were talking about. Even the box looks spooky. It's, I mean, they're weird, and I realize that this is exactly the worst discussion for the radio because again, we're talking about something that... Obviously, you can't see, and that also trying to explain it on the air makes no sense. But I almost want to bring those light bulbs in and put them. They wouldn't fit in our lights here in the studio, but I almost want to bring them in and use them somewhere so people can see what I'm talking about. They It does make you feel like you're in some kind of... It makes you feel like you're in, like, the reptile tank at one of those pet stores. That's the kind of light it is. Like, it's supposed to simulate daylight, but it's doing so badly. So you're going to bring in the light bulb so we can hear it on the radio? I'll get that part. Thanks for the call. Hey. See you Thursday. The only reason why I called actually was to hear your show. Because uh, when, you, when you're online, you get to hear the show. And when you're in a place where your radio doesn't work, call and be put on hold, and then you can hear the show. You have the Internet, sir. <laughs> uh, yes, but I don't have it in my pocket at Fred Meyer. All right. Bye now. Thank you. Ending on an up. Way to end on a strong note. All right. We want to thank the Dry County Crooks as well as Peter Carlin, Lisa Desjardins, Steve Castamount, James Roop, and you for listening. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Dillon for AM 970, Solid State Radio in the newsroom. Tim Riley in the phones. Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, is Dave Zinn. Uh, Brian Jones, our director of engineering. The webmistress is Bridget from upstairs. And, of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru Susan. Don't F with me, Reynolds. Thank you for listening. Like us next. Michael Merritt, 7. See you tomorrow. Bye now. I regret nothing.